1: So, of uh, the Hagman and Hagman report have we got uh, just a tremendous show for you right out of the gate will be Mr. Steve Quayle, my good friend and and uh, just a tremendous man of God, but a tremendous writer, a tremendous author and uh something that you know um his newest book, Tears, An Ocean of Emotion, we're going to be talking about. And I'm so thankful that he's going to be unveiling or he's going to be talking about his his book, Tears, An Ocean of Emotion. Um, I, I read the book, and I, I went into it thinking it was going to be something entirely different. When I got done with the book, I was so glad I, I read the book, so uh, inspired it's just amazing. Before we get to, to Steve, folks, I just want to remind everyone we broadcast live every weeknight, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network, YouTube Live, and also Blog Talk Radio. We've got two different websites, Hagman Report, of course, HagmanReport.com, that is, and Hagman and Hagman.com, folks. Also, I put up a couple of videos this weekend. Uh We did – We if, please pass these videos around, especially – uh the one that I put up last night as it relates to our infiltration into the progressive uh the progressive uh groups. Okay, so I, it's it's a thirteen I think it's a twelve, thirteen minute video, but it's very extremely important in informational. It's a, it's an important update about the uh potential for the civil war in this country, and I believe that we're on the precipice of that. Portions Nice broadcast brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. Folks go to ziprecruiter.com if you need to find that best, that one candidate, the perfect candidate for your job. ZipRecruiter.com is the place to go. Go to ZipRecruiter.com. Right now, folks, listeners of this show can post jobs if you're looking for that perfect hire, that perfect candidate. You can post your job openings on ZipRecruiter.com for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. Um, more on that later, but uh, again, the book tears and the ocean of emotion uh, i'll just open up by saying this and i'm going to turn it right over to steve steve has somehow managed to capture the physical and spiritual components of that single teardrop that that flows down the face of 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 your wife or that loved one and i don't know how he has done this but tears and ocean of emotion is unlike any other book you'll ever read he takes, he will take you on a journey from the physical to the spiritual and back again. He manages to unpack the science and the spirit of one's tears, providing you with just tremendously valuable insight into the complexities of both worlds as they are manifested in a single yet most meaningful tier. With that, Steve Quayle from SteveQuayle.com. Welcome to the Hack Report.
0: Hi Doug what a what a joy to be on with you tonight kind of Uh, role I guess and I want to share something I did not come up with this I did not plan to write this this is to give God glory you know my scripture that I try and and literally remind myself of daily and I think I do a, uh, a pretty good job when I look in the mirror and go without you Jesus I can do nothing meaning Jesus is not me in the mirror but Jesus I keep reminding myself that a man has nothing except he receive it from above and as you read the book, Doug, one, one thing that uh, probably came to your mind as uh, astonishingly as a revelation that came to mind when God gave me this in the shower is each tear we shed has a purpose. And you know, what's interesting, what got me going on this is and then I'll go into the revelation the Lord gave me. Now, I did not get this in a linear way. How else would the Lord talk to me except the way that I relate to information? As most people know, I'm sorry that I sometimes leave you hanging and go on to other stuff. All I can say is you know, I must have been those bike falls as a kid or rolling dune buggies. But the thing is, is that I managed somehow by the grace of God to be able to share things that he's placed in my heart. Well, this whole thing came about in an interesting way. I was pondering Jesus wept, the shortest sentence in the New Testament. I was pondering, you know, how many tears have been shed in history. And I started to basically, you know, just, just think of, of Jesus and, and who, as a son of God, all the tears that he bore for the sins of mankind. And so I'm in the shower, and the Lord drops the words into my spirit, Tears, an ocean of emotion, and I go, an ocean of emotion, and I, which basically within about a 10-minute shower, I pretty much had the whole layout of this book and how I wanted it to go and how it would play out. First of all, most people don't know that just as our cures are uh, unique to each of us, it's designed, they're designed to give us comfort when basically we're overwhelmed with emotions. Jesus was overwhelmed with emotions when Lazarus died. But I think the greatest revelation that came out of this for me, and I'm praying tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that your eyes will be open and that your ears will be open to what I believe is probably one of the greatest revelations of who Jesus is and I have never heard it spoken this way and it's not to say anything other than it's time for the people of God to recognize how great a gift salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ truly is and uh, you know the the thing that's important then uh, when you look throughout the scripture God in himself places weeping and tears in a special place King David said he covered his his pillow with tears that night Jeremiah cried out, Oh, that my eyes you know, would, would be a fountain of tears. And, and most people don't understand, Jeremiah was also I believe uh, uh, pro- prophesying the role of Jesus the coming Messiah to know what he would be like. Uh, Jeremiah 9 chapter, uh, forgive me, chapter 9, Jeremiah the first verse. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And I'm going to give just two scriptures, and I'll go into what happened in the shower. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. And again, I think that, unfortunately, the ministers in the pulpit, the majority, don't even know what grace is, let alone even know how to preach cheap grace anymore, because they don't preach grace, God's riches at Jesus Christ or at Christ's expense, they have belittled, they have denied, and the scripture said the day would come when when, when professing supposed believers are claimants to Christianity would deny the very Lord that saved them. Uh, Isaiah, I'm sorry, Psalm 56, 1, the 8th verse, 1 and 8, Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up, he fighting daily oppresses me. Verse 8, You come my wanderings, put you my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? So every single tear, and when we get to the end of this hour, I'll share that in the Book of Revelation. It talks about what God does with the tears of uh, the righteous and the saints and the redeemed. To put it into perspective, God gave me the instant understanding in the shower that that day, Doug, that that basically your tear is like the quintessential memory bank for all your emotions, all your perceptions, all your life's experiences, all the tears of disappointment, the tears of failure, the tears of joy. Every human emotion that you've experienced in your life, good, bad, or even indifferent, some people just cry because they're miserable, but all that changes. Changes when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, because how it changes is this. God changes us from the inside out. And whether there were tears of defeat, tears of agony, and even tears of uh, the person that's got his hand on the trigger, uh, he's already cocked the hammer, he's already chambered around in a semi-auto and getting ready to blow his brains out, God has a way in answer to prayer. And, and, and like you have seen on this your show, and we have seen praying for people, people on your show, and talking and telling people, don't pull that trigger, God loves you. And for everyone who's thinking of committing suicide tonight, and I only go here when the Lord prompts me, I want you to go to the 139th Psalm. And there is a beautiful verse in that, that more numerous than the sand of the sea, so are God's thoughts towards you. The problem with suicide is, and I know quite a bit about it, and have unfortunately been uh, around too many people that uh, went to an untimely uh, uh, grave, because unfortunately the demons uh, got to him, and not only the demons get to him, but dumb, uh, and I'll say this, uh, dumb, non-understanding pastors of spiritual warfare talked him out of their own deliverance. So, you know, what I'm saying tonight is, this is a special word that God gave me. Now, back to the revelation. Do not come, please, do not, do not take your own life. No matter how hopeless it seems, no matter how much disparage in your life, I hope that by the grace of God tonight, and I believe by the grace of God tonight, he'll help you to understand this. Every tear we shed is saved up, both in the righteous and in the damned, the tears of the righteous, the tears of the damned. And I'll hit it right off. You know how I like to go to the bottom line. There comes a time for the righteous that God wipes away our tears. They're poured out upon his altar as a one-time offering to God. But what most people don't understand and gets lost in the translation is when Jesus bore our griefs and our sorrows, like in Isaiah 53, uh, 4 through 6, and the chastisement of Our peace was upon him. Imagine this, Doug. Imagine the all, uh, if you will, every storage, uh, forgive me, every emotion, every response, every perception that we as human beings, those of us who are uh, the descendants of Adam and Eve, that all of our life's experiences, that's what Jesus took upon himself. That's when Jesus wept. When Jesus wept, that statement is so powerful and the shortest with. Excuse me. The shortest statement in the New Testament, I think, has probably the most profound ramifications in the revelation of when God says that basically uh, He poured out, uh, you know, all of our sin unto Jesus. Uh, how about this? Isaiah fifty-three four through six. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. Him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him Jesus, the iniquity of us all. I can tell you this, that the entire process of tearing up, crying, weeping, and, and mourning is so profound in the ramifications that, as the psalmist said, that they're stored up, that tears are stored up before God. And you know, there are basically three types of tears, there's the basal tears, which serve to lubricate the eyes, that, you know, keeps our eyes from drying out. There's the reflex tears, you know, uh, they help wash away the chemical or particles that irritate our eyes. and the third type of tears are emotional tears. Now, listen this. These tears, and I'm reading right on my book, contain more protein-based hormones than uh, basal or reflex tears. Some scientists who believe these tears create chemical side effects that modify the emotions. You've probably heard, Doug, that, you know, uh, some you, you've heard people say, I cried my heart out, you know, or someone, there's slogans, or you need a good cry. You know, it's like the scripture says, "Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning." So the tears have a healing process, and I maintain as Jesus bore our griefs and our sorrows in our tears, He literally, He literally—now this is cool—I pray people get this—covered the total of our, the totality of all of our life's experience, redeeming them. Now, why would they need to be redeemed? Because in the. Uh, uh, (laughs) in the tears of the damned, Jesus talked about those who reject him going to hell, and he says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and their worm dieth not. The Bible does not teach, uh, you know, basically the annihilation of the soul. In other words, when people die, they just cease to exist. That's not biblical. But there are factions within, quote, professing Christendom that claim that, oh, that's not true, Jesus was just speaking allegorically. But when Jesus talked about, uh, you know, Lazarus, uh, the beggar, and the rich man. He made it clear that there was a certain man. There was a certain man. And so, what What I'm hoping tonight is that by the revelation that, uh, you know, that's in this book, it will help people to really come to a healing point in their life. And I've said this before. How many are the tears of the lonely? How many of the tears are the broken hearted? How many are the tears are those who have lost everything or lost, uh, uh, you know, a loved one or loved... Uh, 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 family members, how many of the tears are uh, broken dreams, broken hopes. And again, I want to say this, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor David Langford was has the most anointed, uh, I believe, uh, teaching on this called broken things. And Jesus, when he up, stood up in the temple and quoted from the book of the law, remember what he said, he came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to put the hearts back together, and only God, the the Maker of heaven and earth, and the Creator of us, could do such a thing. So, Doug, that's why I'm excited about this book because I've never in my life thought that I would write a book like this. I never did, and I pr- I promise that's not uh, false anything. It's just I never did. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was working on the book with Tom Horn that we're co-producing that should be out I think the end of April. You know, we'll be announcing that on Hagman and Hagman ladies and gentlemen I think it's like 590 pages Tom wrote half I wrote half so my mind was totally in another place probably in another galaxy you know and when when God gave this to me in the shower so it's if very important already doug uh, the people that have read the book and we've shipped them out there in stock I mean we're 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 just shipping them out, but they're saying this I've never been so blessed and never realized how much God loves me you know I don't think, and I'll say this ninety percent of the Christians and I would have been included in that really don't understand the love of God in the degree that it's revealed this whole thing came about too by the way because i said lord i want you to start teaching me how you see things not as commentaries are good they have their place not as just me sitting down exegeting or going through my concordance word by word that's good too because the specific hebrew words the specific greek words have really defined meanings and the point that I'm trying to make now is that tears an ocean of emotion. Only the son of the living God could even begin to bear that. I mean, can you look, you know when someone's suffering how you suffer with them? You know, let's say uh you've had a loss with your wife's family or vice versa, or you just see somebody that's hurting and you see that veteran with his legs blown off and you go, Oh God, for for why what reason? And then as the political crisis unfolds, you see the ramifications. You talked about civil war. I believe, now I'm going to share this, Doug, and I didn't say this on Sheila's interview in this way, uh, Sheila Zelinsky. I believe that the reason why God has had me, uh, I don't know, write this or share this with people is simply because we're going into a time of national sorrow and mourning. I don't know what that means, Okay. I can try and figure it out, but it's going to be such a major event. Now, we've heard that. You know, I get the emails, you get the emails, we get the emails. Uh, You guys have been saying that for years well there's a difference when you're saying this will be in the future and now this is where we are now there is no truth in the land in the, this country uh, and no longer, everyone's seeing the exposure of, of wickedness and sin, and knowing this time, I would ask people, I would ask you honestly and, and this applies to me too, have you shed a tear for this country have you cried out to God and look, this is not a guilt trip, if you haven't you haven't, okay, but how about the little one slaughtered? How about the unfolding revelation of pedogate or cannibalate, okay? That's another word I'll just throw in there. There you go. Uh, yep. Cannibalate, the cannibalism that's now coming out. All this stuff... Is, is, how do I say this, of the darkest pits of hell, yet how many people, and, and God bless every minister that does, God bless every believer that does, so when I say that, it's not to lay anything on anybody, it's just to say, look at how those who call themselves Christians have failed immensely, and that's why Islam has been able to come into this United States and take the place and will, unless they're stopped, and have a stronger belief system, and when I Say stronger belief system. That doesn't mean it's true, but they believe in what they're doing more than the Christians believe in what Jesus did.
1: Go ahead, Don. Yeah. Uh, you're precisely on the money. One of the things, Steve, that as I was reading your, your the the book, uh, Tears and Ocean of Emotion. By the way, folks, uh, you can uh, view the trailer. It should be linked to, or should be posted on our site right now. Uh, if not, go to stevecoyle.com And also, uh, in the program description, it's there in the program description, but also, uh, the link to buy the book too. But when I was reading your book, Steve, I thought of this. And, uh, well, I thought of many things, but, but this is one, I'll address this and and then you tell me what you think. But, you know, I look back at my life, and I, and and I've, look, I've hurt people. With words or actions in that, you know, in deed or, or word. And I'm, I've caused people to cry. And in my reflection of that, I, and, and boy, I'll tell you, reading this book about tears, you know, I thought, my goodness. Okay. When, when, when one understands the, uh, the emotion and, and the components of the, the tear that falls down the cheek of the person you hurt. You look at things a little bit differently. You look at maybe tempering your words a little bit more. You, you caused me in, in your book, and I'll just say this flat out. Uh, sometimes I, I say things, Steve, and I could be very cutting with my words, especially with the people I love. And I could do it, you know, like a knife. And I've seen people cry because of things I've said or things I've done but reading your book and understanding what's inside that tear man that makes me think and that changed that that had me thinking about my previous behavior i don't know if that sounds corny or not but that's just one thing out there for you
0: Well, let me tell you this. Each line, each paragraph, each chapter was convicting to me because, look, I understand I've been abrupt. And for those of you who have been offended, I sincerely apologize. Uh, You know, one of the things, because it seems like I have been ducking incoming for 23 years on talk radio, Uh, you know, I... I basically have blown it. I wish I could say before the Lord that my anger is under control. I'm working on it. But, Doug, what you're saying is this. The very things that responded, that you responded to, believe it or not, God's healing in your heart, you know. I, sure. I hope you understand that what people are saying to me, and this is true of me, too. I'm going, God, you gave this. And, and by the way, I make no claims. Obviously, I to do the research on grief counseling and stuff like that, because, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychoanalyst or anything. There's no claims made by that. But I quote some smart people. Let me give you this from Joseph Stromberg. And I think this is pretty interesting called Emotional Components of the Tears. Uh, the microscopic structures of dried tears. I had this moment where I suddenly thought, I wonder what a tear looks like up close. Eventually, I started wondering, would a tear of grief look any different than a tear of joy? And how would they compare to, say, an onion tear? Tears are the medium. Now, here's a bit. Tears are the medium of our most primal language in moments as unrelenting as death, as basic as hunger, and as complex as a rite of passage is as it's as though each one of our tears carries a microcosm of the collective human experience like one drop of an ocean pretty cool huh I mean, that's a powerful statement. In other words, they've proven scientifically that each tear is different, that when you cry based on the emotion, the underlying emotion, the pain, whatever it is, the heartbreak, the loss, it produces different chemicals that show up in the tears, and the photomicrographs of those, Respond accordingly. Meaning, you can. These guys that do this is is do these take the photomicrographs of the tears and have gone on the study. It, it was a mind blowing thing for me. Okay, I never. Excuse me. I never never realized how important it really was, and I didn't understand it. So you know the 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 cry your heart out. Well, somebody said this, and I forget uh, who it's who said this, but they said uh, crying is to the soul what soap is to the body. It's a cleansing thing. The chemicals that are produced, our entire neurochemical, our entire physiology, the entire cellular structure of our of our cells and the DNA and, and all of the things that God put in us. It is such an amazing, overwhelming, uh, mind blowing uh, sense of praise that will arise from your heart when you understand that those tears you're shedding now, brothers and sisters, of loneliness of despair. And we've failed the elderly, by the way, Doug. That's one of my, you know, the, the, oh, yeah. the groups of people I feel that we've failed, you know, is basically the little people that have been slaughtered on the sacrifice of Molech's scalpel. Okay? Don't kid yourself. Abortion is nothing more than Satan worship. And it's nothing more than cannibalism from in the womb, you know. And, uh, and I say this as God does, unless those people repent, they will never be able to wipe the blood off their hands, nor will they be able to silence their ears in hell from the cries of the innocent. They just won't be able to do it. But in Jesus, if you'll confess your sin, Jesus said, though your sins be as scarlet. Now, I'm not, by the way, I'll make this clear. This is not a railing against anybody who's had an abortion. God has forgiven you. If you've come to Him and asked Him to forgive you, Is children, your children, but his children, in heaven they forgive you and they're waiting for you excitedly to meet the parents and the parents have carried such guilt. You know, here's the thing, the scripture is very clear he who the sun sets free is free indeed and it's my prayer that this book will be such a ministering vehicle and like I said, writing this and reading this is uh, very, how do I say this, uh, it's Therapeutic because I see exactly, you know, and I see my failures. But thank God, I see my hopes, my dreams. Believe it or not, I didn't call myself to this place. Some people, as you know, will claim that uh we do this for this reason, that reason. And I said to people, thank God you're not not me. And somebody says, it sucks to be you, Quail. My answer to that was simply, no, it doesn't suck. But to whom much is given, much is required. And with much mm-hmm. knowledge comes much sorrow.
2: So, Absolutely. you know, my... Yep. So we're, uh, don't mean to interrupt Joe. We're up against the break. Folks, we're uh, listening, talking with Steve Quayle, his latest book, Tears, an Ocean of Emotion. And I'm looking right here at the table of contents. And, um, this looks like a much different book than, than what I'm, I'm used to reading from Steve. And I'm
1: really looking forward Dude, to Can you to tell I didn't this? share, Steve? I didn't share with Joe this weekend. I, I wanted to finish it first before I gave it to him.
2: Yeah, this looks like a very uh, in-depth and and, um, interesting book. Steve will be with us on the other side of this short break, so don't go anywhere. We'll be
3: right back.
4: Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back.
5: In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of end times fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book one, Precipice. Book two, Pentecost. And book three, (laughs) Penance.
1: HagmanReport.com, Hagman and Hagman.com, two of our websites. Also, please, folks, subscribe to our YouTube channel. When you're, if you're listening to this via Global Star, Blog Talk, whatever, subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, please. It, it uh, helps us with respect to visibility, and it uh, does, a, does a number of things that uh, helps us get the word out there. So, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as Steve Quayle's YouTube channel his official youtube channel and take a look at the content he's got on his website we're talking about tears and emotion or an ocean of emotion and uh steve wrote that uh uh little by little he found uh, the profound truth about about us as human beings as well as the lord's love for us our lives and our tears well they're important to the lord knowing this truth is key to understanding our lives as well as living them to the fullest and this book does help you do that before we get back to steve i want to ask you the business owners managers of human resources departments whoever if you've got a position to hire people are you hiring if so do you know where to post your job position position in order to find the best candidate posting your job in one place is not enough to find quality candidates if you want to find the perfect hire folks you need to you need to post your job on all of the top job sites and now you can with ZipRecruiter.com. you can post your job to 200 plus job sites including social media networks like facebook and twitter all with a single click you can find candidates in any city any industry nationwide just post once Watch your qualified candidates roll in. I have to tell you, the user interface is so easy. It takes away the emails, phone calls. There you can quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the person, the correct correct person for the the right job really fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses right now. Listeners to this broadcast can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ziprecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ziprecruiter.com slash free trial. One more time to try it for free, go to ziprecruiter.com slash free trial. Our guest uh, for the rest of this hour is Steve
2: Quayle. His website is Stevequayle.com. He has a, a new book, Tears, an Ocean of Emotion. And that's what we're talking about in this segment. Steve, looking over your table of contents here, I don't know if there's any one area you want to get into more detail in. One of the chapters that I was looking at was chapter 9, Sackcloth and Tears. Um, But let's go where you want to go.
0: Well, I think it's important to understand that to, uh, uh, Everyone who's now being brought into the world of uh, DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, and all of even the biocomputers—the idea of storing enough memory on a single drop of water—should come as no surprise to how great God is. You know, uh, until recently, Joe, the, the notion of keeping a record of each tear we shed or each or uh, each hair on our head, and I have asked the Lord for more uh, hair so He can—you know—I'm asking for the multiplication on that, and not the. Uh, Division or subtraction. You know, many argued that that was hyperbole, but it's not because even a human um, strand of DNA, the storage capacity is overwhelming. And I want to make this clear. In our tears, it's really important that our tears contain our individual DNA. Obviously, that's why they swab uh, mucus out of your mouth, you know, when they want to take a uh, sample of your DNA. And that what's it it, it provides the quintessential essential storage medium for all our unique traits. And what's most profound to me is each tier contains a record of the genetic material that makes each of us unique. In other words, Joe Hagman, Doug Hagman, Steve quell all of our tiers are different. They're not only different as we are different genetically, obviously, we have different uh, 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 way that all of our life's experiences have come together, but that's the uniqueness. And here's what I want to say again, please, ladies and gentlemen, Doug, if you You can say this better than I can, please, because I get overwhelmed with how cool this is, okay? That when Jesus wept, the sum total of all tears shed on the planet, both at his time, up until that time, and even forward until his second coming would be uh, uh, born. In his body, because he's God, and when he shed his tears, and he shed his tears first, and then basically he shed drops of blood. First came the water and the blood, and in, in, for instance, in the Garden of Gethsemane. But here's something, Hebrews 5, 5-9, through 9, and talking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, verse 7, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Jesus had the fear of the Lord. That's one of the seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. So what's amazing, and I think this is some place I'd like to go, I go into the tears of elephants. God really started dealing with me, and I, I think I shared this a little bit on Sheila's show. I've never been an animal lover, okay? I've had my German shepherds who, who I've really loved, and you know, two of them have died, and then uh, you know, I didn't like to have pets because I hated when they died. I think the first pet I ever had was a beautiful collie and uh you know when uh, she died you know i said i'll never have another pet then i broke down and got a shepherd and then i got hip dysplasia and now i got a little labradoodle that god has really used Uh, i mean you know he's just cuter than i'll get out and uh, what can you say about a dog that jumps 10 times in the air up to your kitchen counter when you're ready to feed him except he's hungry and he's cute but the thing is is in studying the hierarchy of elephants in my second chapter, this is critical. The elephants are the only uh, social order of animals that they have been able to track. Uh, Family, uh, the knowledge of death. You know, they do have the knowledge of death. Even dead elephants, where their uh, their bones, even in the old Tarzan movies, they used to talk about the elephant graveyard. The elephants, the only one of the uh, main uh, mammals that not only protects the dead but remembers the dead, even when they go on uh, their trips through the savanna or wherever they go, like obviously South, uh, South Asian elephants, but they remember they're dead. Mother elephants. There was a story, and I put it in my book, and, and this, this tears me up about elephants that have been abused in captivity for 50 years. When they finally released it, it started crying out of both eyes and trumpeted. Or the elephant that was in Africa and, and basically got shot in the head but knew it had to walk to the humans who could help it and laid down and allowed the vets to take out the bullet and heal it up. And then it walked away, and, and it, it literally had tears of joy and trumpeted and looked back over his shoulders as if to say, thank you. You know, it's it's a it's a wonderful thing. Elephants, I said this, elephants treat their uh, members of their clan better than we as Christians treat each other. And I'm guilty of that too. Because I've said all along, I said, God, I don't want to be at war with your, your people and then somebody gets me in a battle over flat earth or they get me in a battle over this or that, you know, and I should know better. Or well, right when I think I've, I've escaped battle, I get drawn in by somebody who wants me to take his side, and when I don't, I become the enemy. So, God reminds us that, uh, you know, that our tears are sacred to him, and I want to give one of the, the coolest things I know, and this is what the Lord shared with me, and I think it, it's a, the, the heart of a, of a, of a, a repentant sinner. And this is in Luke seven thirty six through fifty. I won't read the whole thing, but I want to share a lot about this. And one of the Pharisees desired him, Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went in the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is, and and who it is that touches him, for she is a sinner. Now, look at the tears aspect of this. A woman who's a sinner, most likely prostitute, although it doesn't say that, but I think it indicates that, because only prostitutes could afford the alabaster box of ointment, which was one of the most precious things, commodities, in that time in biblical times. Now, here's what she does. She stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet, the feet of Jesus, with her tears and wipe them with the hairs on her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, the Bible says a woman's hair is her glory. So what she did, okay, what she did is basically took her entire life, her tears, the emotions, all of, all of the... Uh, things she wished she would have done, the things she didn't do, uh, the life she could have had, the life she had to live, and she put it all at the feet of Jesus, and she wiped the feet of the Savior of the universe with a composite totality of her emotional being, of her, of her total life's essence, and then with her hair, that was her glory, she took that which she had, the most precious thing she could hand give was her hair, and she wiped what did she do? She wiped the feet with the hairs on her head, and then he and then it says, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. The ointment was probably the most expensive thing she had. If you would, that was that was her uh, uh, ability to maybe continue to uh, do commerce in the in the marketplace without in the bedroom. And I'm not trying to be tacky, but the Pharisees and their self righteousness, you know, they were com- they were more concerned with the actions of the woman than the redemption of the woman. And see, that's the same thing. Redemption is everything in God's world. That's why he said, and the scripture makes it clear, he who winneth souls is wise. I don't believe there's a better practical application of scripture than in the sum total of just a simple passage in Luke 7 of a woman who basically, by all standards, would just be passed over. You know, the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, when that comes and as that happens, the people that you know had invitations say, No, I'm too busy. But that's when God says He compels his angels to go out into the highways and byways and compel everyone who will to come in. In other words, not the religious, not the self righteous, but the people who have are in need of a savior. There is the heart of God towards humanity. You can't do God speaking What only I can do, but if you'll let me do what I created uh, the world to be like and allowed my son to come into it to redeem you, you can become everything beyond your dreams because my dreams are bigger than your dreams. And so that's what I want to share with people. I really want them to pray about this. Don't be ashamed to cry. Don't be ashamed. and, And know this, that there comes an end. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning, as Psalm 30, verse 5 so one of the things too on the animals do animals cry Uh, you know let me just read this this is by James Honeyborn scientists have observed extraordinary displays of emotion from elephants when one tame animal called Abu died at a safari outfit in Botswana his his keepers brought the other elephants to say goodbye one female elephant Kathy was seen crying from both eyes tears streaming down her face now brothers You know, I say, and I stand by this statement, the idea that that the elephants treat themselves better than us, most people can't help but, you know, uh, rub our noses, or uh, we want to rub their noses and their stuff, and Jesus said, quit rubbing your noses. That's, again, why God hates tail-bearing and slander, because he who covers a matter is greater than he who reveals a matter. And I can tell you this from personal experience, coming into, you know, different situations, Situations, Love covers a multitude of sins, but hate, jealousy, and envy, uh, the only response they can have is through the accusation of others, as, in, as referenced by Satan himself when Satan caused you know a third of the angels to fall from heaven it was due to his accusations against God and the angels listen those of you who listen to accusations are going to get poisoned by the nature of the accusations because it certainly isn't the spirit of God okay now this is this is interesting Doug because as we go on and I can't I can't get into uh, uh, all the different chapters because as Joe said but you know there's just so many of them but I think that people need to understand that this book came, and I asked Pastor David Langford, I said, David Langford, have you ever heard anybody in your entire ministry and David Langford is a called minister of God, he's been in the field for, you know, 20 years an evangelist, and then as pastoring and he was ordained, and uh, men of God laid hands on him after he was, you know, proven. He had to prove himself acceptable to the uh, um, whatever denomination. So, are people that are, I would say this, ordained in that way, and and they're they're ministers, they watch for our souls. But I asked David, Doug, I said, David, have you ever uh, heard anything like this? He said, no, I never have. I said, in all that Jesus bore, our sorrows and griefs, had this subject of tears ever come up? He said no. And then I understood. This was a revelation, and I'm not saying somebody else hasn't thought about it. I'm just saying this. That it was a revelation that God needs us to understand at this point in life. Because and here's the here's the part I want people to understand. Morning is natural. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. You can't hurry it, you can't speed it along, you can't pat someone on the back. A potluck's good for the day of the funeral or the ceremony, but that doesn't do it. Best thing that people there's a scripture says uh, not scripture forgive me there's an adage that says time heals all wounds that's not necessarily true I would say this Jesus bore all wounds and he can the only one who can carry the burden of someone who's uh, in agony over their loss is the Lord Jesus you pray for people you encourage the people you do every act of kindness you can but you got to understand that mourning is a process. I, it is a process it took me uh when my brother was murdered, my brother was murdered, I don't the year of Mount Saint Helen's, whatever that was. And, you know they we never found his body we know who killed him and that guy ended up killing himself but for 20 years even knowing his murder the police pretty much weren't able to uh, act his wife was gonna uh, uh, testify against him then he shot her and she lived and then fast forward another 20 years Doug and he shoots her again and she doesn't die and then he shoots he turns the gun on him in his in his uh, you know he shoots himself in the head and he dies okay but it took me so long to get over that grieving process and those of you who have had uh, family, relatives murdered my heart is with you that's not a false sympathy because there's an unresolved um, if you will an unresolved ache just like a husband who's killed in a car wreck or a wife or whatever you can't explain it the wise don't answer the question but the thing is if you know that what you're going to meet them again see this is the hope of Christianity this is where we differ you know, and, and, and every other religion in the world, you know, we're not going to sit in some temple uh, contemplating nothing for the rest of eternity, and eternity is a long time. But the people that reject Jesus Christ, their tears will, they, they will follow them. And, you know, it, it's interesting. People want to believe the good stuff Jesus talked about, but they don't want to believe when he's talking about hell. And, you know, people say, well, we do away with hell. We do away with the hammer that Christians have over our heads. No. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. And Doug, I'll tell you this. I can sum up the entire entire failure of the church in the 20th century and 21st century. There is no fear of God in the land. There is not. Because the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And the fear of the Lord is one of the ministering aspects of the sevenfold functions of the Spirit of God. So this is, this is kind of where I'd like to take this and then I'll let you, I just want to read one more scripture, you know, five or six verses, and then sure. I'll just be quiet and let you ask me questions. Ladies and gentlemen, this book is available on my website. You can also link to it on Doug's website. Uh, it's it's $5, 20% off until the end of this month, because uh, I didn't get them as quick. They're in, we got plenty to ship, and they ship every day. So Luke 16, 19 through probably 24. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuous The rich man lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. You know what I never saw until getting ready for tonight's show, Doug? That that? he wanted the very one he rejected to be the one that would come and uh, provide him water. That's irony. I've never seen that before, okay? I've read it, but I've never seen that before. It's kind of like the scripture, then opened he their eyes. You know, so this is is the most important thing I think that I've ever written, and I think it will minister to people. I believe it will put broken people back together again by the Spirit of God. I believe it will give new hope to the hopeless. I believe it will provide strength to the helpless. I believe it will absolutely help us to endure to the end, because that's what kept Jesus. Jesus set the Lord ever before him, so did King David, and that's what took them through, and that's what will take us through, no matter what we go through. There's no other way to do it. We're not smart enough, we're not strong enough, we're not rich enough, even the rich can't do it, because they can't protect themselves against things that are beyond their the immediate vicinity. It doesn't mean you good to have a $100 million yacht or a, even a billion, excuse me, a billion dollar yacht, be at the wrong place in the ocean or uh, uh, Pacific, in the Pacific or Atlantic when you have a, let's say a, a once in a hundred year uh, tidal wave or an earthquake or a whirlpool or God knows what. You know, the right target at the right, you don't want to be a target of opportunity at the wrong time. So anyway, that's the, the and there's so many chapters in here And, you know, this is like a huge subject. This is like sitting down and trying to explain uh, everything that goes on in the cell of a human being by a mitochondria, you know, within even the mitochondria, etc. And, uh, you know, there's hundreds of thousands, but the basic thing is this. Jesus was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquity and all your tears with the sum total of your human experience, your failures, your victories, everything. Jesus bore that on the cross, and those tears are precious, and all of that has been redeemed to be offered up on the altar of God. When He will wipe away all our tears.
1: Very well said, Steve. I, you know I can't really do justice to what you've said. Certainly, I can barely do justice to what you've written, and and you're you've written a tremendous book that informs, it educates. But it inspires. But you know, one of the things is, as, as I read through the book and, uh, focus on certain chapters this weekend, uh, Steve, I, I want to ask you, if you don't mind, at this point in our time, in our nation, in our national history, we're seeing so much go on. And, and maybe people don't, maybe people don't cry for their countries anymore. Maybe there's not that, that emotion for that, uh, the, the time that once was. But you write in here about uh, the, well, tears of national loss, and you address certain things. The time period we're at right now, and we, we only have about five minutes to the, to the end of the hour, but in the time period we're at right now, what would you say about tears of national loss, tears for our nation to the people listening who really can see our country slipping away from? I would
0: say that the the slipping away and I would say the uh, having slipped away I would say uh for instance I get more flack from people telling me I'm a Trump chump that are claiming to be Christians, but they never give me any scripture, or they'll try and distort the scripture. We need to weep. We need to howl before the porch and the altar. And, oh God, you see, here's the thing, Doug. We've been so hardened, and I think this is the answer, okay, but this is the answer I'd like to give you. National loss... National loss can only be re- referenced in what the history of the nation is all about. That's why uh, the communist takeover, the education system, you know, in the early 60s forward has produced a nation of people that don't know their roots, okay? And they don't know the price men paid in World War One, World War II. And by the way, uh, I, I am, don't condone war, I hate war, but I know this, that... Given the surrender of the former uh, uh, Clinton regime, the Bush regime, uh, the uh, Obama regime, our country is naked. We stand naked before God, but our national loss, this is what I'm sensing, Doug. I'm sensing something so powerful. And if, if God would tell me, I would tell everybody. But I don't know why he won't tell me, but it's probably because it would overwhelm me. But when it happens, the only way that any of us will stay in the right attitude of praise and thanksgiving is by enduring what we've got to go through as individuals in a nation. The nation we once loved, whether it was an illusion or not, there was a whole lot of more freedom and a whole lot of less slaughter and a whole lot of less perversion. By the way I, I, you know, I, I won't write the book that I could write on the origin of sexual perversion, okay? It's not that I'm an expert, but I do know the history of it. So the thing I would tell people to, and here's where I'm going to change my ministry and my my focus, okay? I don't know how long I'm up on the Internet. Every day it becomes more troublesome, perilous. But I'm going to go to QCAS on my YouTube channel, and thank you for mentioning that. I do not respond to any postings. I have uh, people that do. Uh, be, I'm just too busy. Busy. And And when I say that, that's not... I know that I'm up against the clock, okay? And that clock is counting down. So if I can win 10 people or 1,000 people to the Lord Jesus Christ by answering the questions no one else will deal with, then glory to God in the highest. I'm serious. If I'm mm-hmm. the one that God says, speak out, write out about Antarctica, now everything's coming out about Antarctica, and I'll do the same thing about Mars. Watch what happens to Mars. I'll make an announcement on that. But please, those of you that want to Updates. I'm going to do Doug an update every other day, and if I can, I'll do them every day, a 30 minute or less. By the way, every time I say that, they turn out to be an hour. I know, anyway,
1: I know. I of- love that, brother. I do. <laughs> I, I got to stop you, man. We're at the end of the sh- end of the hour, uh, but I, I love your QCAS. And, and folks. SteveQuayle.com, but his YouTube channel. Please keep doing those, and, and don't worry about the time, man. They're 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 just so informative. They really are. Yeah. Uh, well, cheers.
3: thank you. Thank you,
0: everyone.
1: Yeah, Tears and uh, An Ocean of Emotion. The brother, that was, that's just a fantastic book. Something that I totally didn't expect. Thank you for writing that. I, I mean that, brother. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. And people order it off my website, stevequail.com, or Doug's site because you get a, a five dollar uh, discount. And it, I promise you, it will change your life. It's even changing my life, and you know, it's it it will change your life, and it will change it for the better. Doug, blessings to you. Doug, uh, you know, Joe, blessings to you, and bless you everyone out there. But take this stuff to the Lord in prayer and really ask Him, God, show me in Your Word just exactly how important this is to you. Bye-bye, Doug.
2: Thanks, Steve. Have a good night. We'll be right back with Cheryl Chumley right after this.
1: Florida, they created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat, really a, a super device. All right? You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG, chargeable, is affordable, it's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces, it's durable, it's EMP-proof, and it's environmentally friendly, it, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to Greenovative.com. That's GreenInnovative.com. Greenovative.com. <music> It's your business out there, a small business. Hi. Would you like to extend the reach this of this? business? business? Doug Hagman I bet you I bet you would. Would you like to, to have the same opportunities as companies such as Omaha Steaks, Pro Flowers, and Casper Mattress? And some of the bigger companies out there, would you like to have that same power? Advertise on our program, go to Hagman and Hagman com or send an email to opportunities at Hagman, Hagman.com. If you go to HagmanReport.com and HagmanHagman.com, and there's a link where you can you can you can it's a big red box. You'll see it. You'll see it. Click on that link. And go ahead and read the benefits what we have created for you I think it's something is a fabulous opportunity caliber on I'm referring to our guest Carol or Sh- I'm sorry Cheryl Chumley.
6: right. I, I've been you know I've been looking
1: seriously uh, I've been looking at at her name all day and, and I don't know why I just want anyway anyway uh, she's an author she's a writer she's a speaker she's very passionate about the topic about topics related to Christianity and the country uh, she's a judeo-christian uh, or she she writes from a judeo-christian perspective okay she's those are her roots uh, she writes about the Constitution, about the Constitution, politics. She she's an award winning journalist. She, uh, she's got her resume, like, fills a, a legal yeah. tablet, you know. I mean, um, she's got, uh, as a matter of fact, folks, uh, I, I love this because uh, when, she, we ta- when we talk about journalists, this is uh, what we mean when we say journalists,
2: not talking heads or pundits. Um, this, uh, She is a person who does the research, gets you know, the facts, does and reports the facts. And, and instead of, you know, uh, being paid to... She's uh, a read talking points off a piece of paper.
1: Right. And, and she's a Robert uh, Novak journalism fellow. And as part of that year-long project, she spent a year researching private property rights and national heritage areas. Very interesting. Uh, she's written for World Net Daily, Washington Times, WND, World Net Daily, Washington Times, The Blaze. I mean, she's been on all kinds of TV shows from Fox to CNN and everywhere. She And, and she loves... Uh, uh, she lives in the uh, the northern Virginia, northern Virginia, right, with her husband and uh, two dogs and a cat. Love that. You got to love that, right? Uh, lady, our studio dog, just her ears perked up as she's lying right <laughs> here. Uh, but anyway, before we get to uh to uh, Cheryl, I, I just want to mention that we've got folks. We, we we've got a wonderful seed package for you. If you're preparing out there, if you if you're looking to top off your preparation, your pantry, go to texasready.net. That's texasready.net. They've got the best seed banks in the world. They're the highest-rated seed banks in the world for good reason. They contain regionally appropriate open-pollinated heirloom seeds. And, you know, most seed banks, they don't take into account the geographical differences. They don't use certified seeds. Well, Texas Ready does. The differences are astounding. Texas Ready, the packaging that comes in a a reinforced ammo-type can, um, it, it, in fact, uh, they've got 80 plus varieties of vegetables and fruits, including eight dual-purpose herbs, culinary and medicinal. They've got them all. TexasReady.net. That's TexasReady.net. All right. Getting to uh, to Cheryl. She's the author of a book that uh, I just I love this book because it provides not just an overview of what the problems are, but answers to those problems. The title is The Devil in D.C. In the book that she wrote before that police state usa i've got them both and i i, I love them both and the devil in dc is a, is a great book because she provides not just the overview of the problems but the solutions as well cheryl chumley cheryl com. cheryl welcome to the hagman and hagman report
6: oh thank you so much doug joe thank you for having me it's an honor
1: yeah, it's an honor to have you you know um Joe, i mean you've We've talked. We talked about Cheryl today in her book and all of the topics. Um, Cheryl, where do you where do you want to start? And I ask you that because I want to give you the opportunity to to. Well, you, your book is is a, a fascinating read. It's informational, but I want to give you the chance to start wherever you think we should start, given the headlines of today, the news of today, because everything's changing all the time.
6: It, it, it is changing. Yeah, uh, And, um, I mean, it, you know, for a lot of Christians, the election was kind of a double-edged, uh, double-edged sword. Uh, Trump maybe wasn't their ideal candidate, but we dodged a huge bullet with Hillary Clinton. And what I think, and where I think this is the best place to start this evening, is we as Christians need to realize, uh, you know, Trump may have been better for the country than Hillary Clinton, But we should not sit back now for the the next four years and do what we did under Obama and just kind of sit there at home and moan about the state of America and, you know, wring our hands and wonder, what can we do? What can we do? We need to get rid of Obama. We need to bring this country back under the control of God, not government and so forth. You know, Trump may be better sounding to a lot of conservatives and Christians, but he is still not the solution. And until we work hard as Christians put God back in charge of our government in four more years we're going to be facing the same turmoil we did under
2: Obama You're absolutely right and that's one of the um, themes that we've been talking about on this show uh, with uh, uh, journalists, with uh, political uh, analysts as well as pastors is that during the the run up to this election during this last election cycle we saw so many people um, openly talk about how they were praying For a Donald Trump victory, how they were praying that the country did not fall into the hands of the Clintons. Uh, And these are Christians to non Christians. And the amount of people who said that they were praying and and fasting uh, was so high. And it almost was like after Trump had won the election, a lot of those people, um, you know, didn't feel the need to continue to pray, felt like they could put their feet up, that they could, you know, kick back and, and relax. With the mindset that, you know, okay, our guy got in. He's going to do the work. We don't have to worry. We don't have to, you know, continue to keep our foot on the throttle. And that is a huge, huge miscalculation and mistake on, on the parts of those people who, who think it's okay. And this is the time to kick back. If anything, we should continue to move forward. Um, what have you seen as far as, as the, the base of, in the Trump supporters? Uh, do you think a lot of people have taken that approach that, okay, we can take a, a breather now, things are going to uh, be, you know, m- much more smooth sailing from here uh, versus, you know, the other side where people are saying, okay, now this is time to get to work, now this is the uh, where we really need to, to put our, our foot forward? I,
6: I do, Joe. I, I mean, that's exactly... What I see happening and why I I really wanted to bring that point out tonight. So I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to jump right in with that. The problem I think is that a lot of people right now, like you just described, are saying, great, Trump's in. Now we're going to get the economy moving again. My 401k is going to be back where it was. I'm going to have jobs. I'm getting that new car. You know, yada yada with all the material things but we forget that the Bible is pretty clear, God will not be mocked and I see Trump as a reprieve uh, with all the praying and fasting that our country did to bring Trump into office and I see that God granted that but we have a lot of stuff that is angering God, you know, that gay marriage ruling in the Supreme Court to me when that was handed down it was like a thud I mean, I was waiting, honestly, the next day for America to just crumble, and it was almost more frightening that it was just silence, and it seemed like the world went on as normal. But I think that's the danger, and we need to look at what our culture and what our politics put forth, and actually now get more in the swing of the political world as Christians.
1: I, I, we totally agree, and, and that's our our position as well. You, you write, uh, or in your book, the... Um and I think we have to remember this as well, that the idea that our rights as individuals come from God, not government, uh, that's important for us to understand. And once we let government think it's the one in charge, not God, then we're headed for a free fall of constitutional demise where individual rights play second fiddle to the power-hungry lusts of the political class. And um, you had referenced this larger, well, you had referenced this in an interview you had done with uh Uh, I believe one one of the interviews you've done, um, and I may be wrong on this, but, um, yeah, it's, yes, I mean, yes.
6: (laughs) It's like speaking to the choir. Yeah. But it's hard. It's hard to get people motivated to to actually act. I I mean, you guys must come across that every day, every time you come on the radio, every time you speak out about things that are passionate to you, that you know are truths. And people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And then they go home and watch TV. Or mm-hmm. then they go home and they make dinner and they go out with their friends. You know, we have a country here that we're trying to preserve for our future, for our children. And we have an upcoming generation where no generation before has professed less belief in God than the upcoming one. And this is what we're fighting.
1: Yeah, yeah. we are. And and
2: um, during this last election cycle, at least for us, we saw a huge amount of people uh, start engaging in the news and, and the political process, paying attention to what was been going on in both the Christian and, and the non-Christian world.
1: And that seems to have kind of fallen off. Um, Just like right after 9-11. You, you yeah. had the churches fill, fill up and then bang. You know, it's it's back to normal again. And my
2: question to you is, I guess specifically for the Christians, but it also applies to, to anybody else out there, um, if this current political climate doesn't keep people engaged, how do we best keep people engaged?
6: To me, you know, an individual can make a big difference. But the problem is you don't know as an individual what influence you have or what difference you're making. Oftentimes it's, you know, we're having this discussion right now. We have no idea who's listening. We have no idea who we may be touching or sparking. So to me, the, the the basic idea is you have to do what your heart tells you to do. You have to be bold as a Christian. Uh, I, I don't really abide by that Christian teaching that you know we must be quiet and we must follow our leaders quietly because I think in this country we have a different government. Our our government is of buying for the people. So that puts it an incumbent on the individual to speak up. So uh, I guess my best way to answer that is if you know that something is wrong and you don't speak up about it, then for you, that's sin, right? I mean, that, that's pretty clear. That's a biblical teaching. So if you know something's wrong in this country in the direction it's going, and you're not trying to do something, whether it's talking out, whether it's writing your congressman, whether it's forming a local committee or, or some means like that to get your message out, then you're kind of falling behind what God has put on your heart to do.
1: V- very true. And, and we have to engage. We have to stay engaged. What do you say to people, especially Christians who say, well, you know, I just can't follow Donald Trump because he doesn't, you know, he's, uh, he doesn't represent all of the Christian, uh, uh, aspects that, you know, yeah. he's, he's not, he's not the, he, he's not our, our perfect candidate, so to speak. What do you, what do you say to Christians who are, I'm there's, not talking there's about, a sect uh, of about iconic worship.
2: There's a, there's a sect of Christians out there that look for a savior yeah. in a political sense through a religious ideology, even though we'll never see that in this country uh, or in this world. And when we do, it'll probably be the Antichrist. But, um, yeah, there there is this, this judgment amongst Christians that says, well, you know, he's not a Christian up to the standard that I believe one should be, therefore I can't support him. Yeah, how do you handle that?
6: Well, you know, it is America and you do have the right to your own political opinion and I would respect that so long as you respect mine as well. But I would question, uh, that way of thinking. And here, here's my thoughts on Trump. He was not my candidate, you know, at the very beginning. I, I didn't vote for him in the primary. Um, And when he came out as the winner, I got behind him and I supported him. And to be honest, I knew he was going to win. Um, I I did not give up like so many of the pollsters and, and the media pundits thinking that he was going to go down in flames. I just had a very good feeling that he was going to win. And the reason why is because I think there was a lot of praying going on in this nation to bring in a leader who not only could do some of the things that needed immediately to be done, uh, for instance, like the border, but somebody who could stand strong in the face of this massive media onslaught. I mean, nobody has taken it in recent times that I can think of, like Donald Trump, but there are very few candidates who would stand strong as Donald Trump is doing now and not pay. Think about it. If we had Mitt Romney, like a lot of the Republicans wanted, do you think Mitt Romney would be standing as strong as he is against this onslaught of press? Uh, you know, the negative attention he's getting, the the, the rallies, the protests and so forth. Uh, do you think Obamacare would still be on the chopping block with a different candidate, with Ben Carson or even Mike Huckabee, who I favored? I don't think so. So, yeah, Trump is not ideal in terms of you know Christianity, but at the same time you have to look at the leader he is the strong, bold, arrogant true, but he's taking it on the chin for the rest of us in America and if there's a slim chance that you believe he's doing it because he loves the country, that I'd be good enough for you right now
1: Very good answer, and and thank you, because we we hear from Christians all the time, as a matter of fact we, we, we get email threads and I'm sure you get this too. You know, we're, yeah. oh my goodness, it's like, oh. <laughs>
7: it's just.
1: Oh yeah. And uh, wow. And, and so some, some very well known names too. And I'm thinking, my goodness, what, what's going on? But anyway, uh, folks, our guest is uh, Cheryl Chumley. Go to CherylChumley.com. She's a writer for WND. She's an author, public speaker. She's been on every TV radio show, Michael Savage. And, and uh, I mean, she's got a, a, a huge resume. But she's the author of, of two books right now, one being, and, and Joe, Joe said, hey, you make sure you make, mention this, but uh, Police, Police State, State U- USA, USA. That, that's kind of like your, your first book, and then The Devil, um, Devil in D.C. is like part two of that, and uh, I misspoke uh, yeah. earlier before
2: the show. And the title is there Police State USA, How Orwell's Nightmare is Becoming Our Reality, and then the latest book, The Devil in D.C., Winning back the
1: country from the beast in Washington. And now, now having, Carol, Cheryl, Cheryl, having <laughs> the, both books, see, I'm going to do that all. Uh, uh, having both books, um, I, I, can, can we talk about Police State USA for a moment? Because that's so important. Um, and then we'll kind of, because I think that this is a package deal with both books. I think it'd be a yeah. great, great thing.
2: Police State USA, How Orwell's Nightmare is Becoming Our Reality. That's never been <laughs> more true than it is today. With the oppressive nature, the overreaching uh, abilities of with, with technology, um, this cyber police state, as well as you know the militarized police state, um, and, and in the last year or two, we've seen the shift from you know the the the, the black booted uh, you know all military gear police officers, and we've seen uh, the the bigger threat come from the the cyber um, oppression, the surveillance state, the NSA. Uh, and, and what they're able to do through technology. Um, what are some of your biggest concerns about the Police State USA, and how does it operate uh, you know, physically in the cyber world, um, and how is it affecting us?
6: Right. Well, Police State USA includes all that, and it also includes a lot of things that people may not think of contributing to a police state, like the radical environmental laws. Uh, I go into zoning zealots and, you know, homeowners associations even. But there's a lot in that book that people may not think, hey, I'm losing my freedoms over, I never thought of it this way. But if you if you had to step back and take a look at the overall premise of Police State USA, I, I looked at the book, all the different ways we were losing our God-given rights uh, for government intrusions. And when you start looking at our country in that respect, You know, a hundred years ago, some of these rights that we, that we have as Americans, they were just granted. They, They were taken for granted and now we have to fight the government to keep them or to get them back. And, you know, you mentioned some of the cybersecurity things. You mentioned some of the, you know, the NSA spying on Americans. Uh, Some of the technology that police have nowadays. My goodness, they actually use technology that predict crimes before they occur, uh, which may sound a great thing if you're a police officer and you want to stay safe. But in this country, also, we have this little right, and, and it's based on the presumption that you're innocent until proven guilty, so that there's a there's a line there that's getting blurred, all in the name of safety and security, and if you had to back it up and put a, a time stamp on it, you could point to September 11th as really uh, getting the ball rolling on a lot of these national security and safety matters, which have stripped us of our God-given rights.
2: Uh, you're exactly right, and um, we we didn't talk about going down this road, but but since we brought up nine eleven, and uh, I would like to just get your opinion on it. The official story, nine uh, eleven truther, somewhere in between. What do you think happened on nine eleven?
6: You know, I'm not qualified to speak on on what some of the uh, truthers have said about that. I know the arguments that are out there that. Uh, you know, the planes couldn't have collapsed that building. There were things heard beforehand, booms heard beforehand. But I have never done my own independent research into that. And so right now, you know, I, I still take it like it was a terrorist act by radical Muslims. And, you know, I, I haven't done my independent research on, on the other side of that.
2: Well, do you, do you, well just as good as a journalist and as thorough as you are, I would... uh I would urge you to to do your own research. You might have a, your next book in, <laughs> in there. I mean there's there's a lot there and there's obviously a lot of differing opinions. But the reason I asked that question, um uh, this is something that my father and I have done extensive research on. We don't really uh, agree on everything, but we do agree that the official story um was was a, a bill of lies sold to us and for what purposes, you know that there's a lot of speculation there. But out of 9/11 which I believe was, was something that very easily could have been prevented, whether it was perpetrated by somebody or a group inside of our government or a shadow government. Uh, I guess that's up for debate. But Homeland, uh, the Department of Homeland Security, the wars, the increase uh, of, of surveillance powers, all of that came from 9-11. And we have only seen this you know, continue to be used against the American people and the powers are, they seem to go unchecked. Um, how much of this is is the problem stemming from nine eleven? the legislation, uh, whether it's been from Congress or executive orders, the expansion of surveillance? Uh, how All of this seems to, to go back to the excuse of 9-11. Is there any way we can reverse this and, and, and walk that back, or are we just at the point now, uh, because of our history, because of everything that happened, this is where we are and we have to deal with what we uh, have right now?
6: It's funny you talk about reversing it because, um, you know, Sensenbrenner, was one of the uh, political leaders who pushed forward with the creation of the Department of Homeland Security and so forth, and uh, some of the surveillance powers that were handed to the federal government, he actually came out a couple years after and said, hey, we've gone too far. We need to reel this back. And he was the one that was on the, you know, the, the beginning of it to jumpstart it into creation. Uh, to be honest, I think it's going to be really hard to roll back government. Once government is in something, once it's created, it's very difficult to roll it back. How many presidents have promised, you know, Reagan was going to uh, dismantle the Department of Education. Trump talked about it on the campaign trail. And the Department of Education is only even bigger than it used to be. Department of Homeland Security came into being by, what, an executive order of George Bush. And now I think there's like 260,000 people that are part of that. Uh, voted bureaucracy, and what do we get? What you just named. You you get intrusions on American people and very little uh, national security data that can be used to stop terrorism. We get people at the airports under the Transportation Security Agency having, you know, their baby's diapers rifled through because they might have some kind of bomb in them, but yet those with, you know, Middle Eastern ties are are ushered through some of the checkout lines because we can't be politically incorrect and and check those people. And then you have things like drones adding to the surveillance that you were talking about. You know, and those are getting so commonplace that now Amazon is picking them up. Pizza delivery places are thinking of using drones. You know, in the next 10 years, it's not going to be talking about reeling back the government. It's going to be some of this technology is going to be so commonplace, people aren't even going to be questioning questioning it any longer.
2: And I'll tell you, I don't, you know, the, uh, I'll, I'll let them keep the, the pizza delivery drones. Um, the the rest of them, (laughs) the rest of them can go.
1: Um, you know, do do you think, uh, I'll throw this question out here now. Uh, we got about three minutes to the bottom of the hour. Uh, do you think Donald Trump can, do you think he's, he's got his eye on cutting some of these, uh, more intrusive programs back? Or do you think, uh, and if anyone can, do you think he can?
6: Well, actually, to answer the second one first, I think he is bold enough and strong enough to do it. So in that respect, he could if he wanted to. But going to your first question, no, I don't think that Trump is interested in cutting back or scaling back on some of these programs. The reason being is he is very pro-police, and it seems to me that those who are pro-police hate taking any type of crime fighting or security tool away from police, even when it comes down to police using it on innocent Americans who haven't even been suspected never mind charged with a crime. So I think you know you need more of a libertarian type voice uh, going for that.
2: Yeah, I would, I would agree with you that the um, when it comes to uh, scaling back homeland security uh, or anything to do with national security Trump is not going to be the person, uh, you know, to roll that back, it, just for the reasons that, that you stated. Um, the one thing I think he could do is, and we've seen this a little bit with the executive orders with immigration, uh, is refocus the, uh, energies and, and,
1: uh, the resources, hard, though, right? Is what you're yeah,
2: refocus the resources because what we saw during the Obama administration and with the beginning of the Bush administration after 9-11 and with the Obama administration was, Really, you know, the Department of Homeland Security turned inward versus ter- uh, against the American people, labeling people who were constitutionalists, um, who were, you know, uh, pro Second Amendment, pro uh, or anti-abortion, as you know, potential radical domestic extremists who needed, you know, vetted and needed to be put on watch list and kept their eyes on, instead of using the resources for uh, actual threats out there. So I, I do agree that I. We, would, we should not expect a rollback of these national security policies from Trump. I do hope that he can can rededicate the resources to become more effective and more efficient. And that's at least one hope with Trump that I do have in this area. And um, we have just about a minute before the break. I don't know. I don't think we went over this with you before the, the show. Uh, 26 and uh, 56 into the hour yeah, we take a minute break. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. We, yeah. yeah.
1: Our guest, by the way, well, well, we'll take a break now. Our guest is uh, Cheryl Chumley. CherylShumley.com. Folks, go to CherylShumley.com and, and check out her website, bookmark it, read it. Also, her books on Amazon. Um, two books, Police State USA. That came out back in May of 2014. It's right on, on point. And some of the information in there is more. Uh you know, you compare that book to other books on the same topic. Hers is much more incisive, I believe, and The Devil in DC, uh just a fantastic book, and that's kind of the part two of Police State USA. It kind of tells you what we can do as people, as a nation, uh about the Police State USA. Remember it back. Give us three minutes, stay right where you're at. Music. the products folks visit masterpreps.com again welcome to the hagman and hagman report family masterpreps.com
3: i mean wow it's insane masterpreps.com are you ready for what comes next
7: from all of us at Training House in the
0: Woods. we pray you have a healthy, safe, and prosperous 2017.
5: And we would like to thank all of you for welcoming us to the Hagman and Hagman family. You're all a very wonderful and special group of people. Because we believe it is so important for you to work and acquire good health this year, we're going to do something that we've never done before as a thank you to you for your support. We're going to make something available that we believe everyone needs.
6: During the month of January, anyone who invests in their health by purchasing either our American Heritage Remedies Kit, our Survivalist Natural Remedies Kit, or $200 in individual remedies of your choice, we're going to give to you our crisis remedy, just in case, for free. Your health must be a part of your preparation plan. We're here to help you with that dream. May God bless y'all, and may God bless America. Happy Happy New Year. Year!
1: For this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, can That's you right. tell us Monday? Okay, well, <laughs> no, you know, I'll tell you what—it was a busy weekend. It was one of those weekends. If you go to our website, if you go to our YouTube channel, uh, a couple of videos there I think are very important. Uh, we're we're t- looking at the, and in fact, we can ask Cheryl, our guest uh, Cheryl Shumley, about this—the the subversive groups that are so active today. Hey, the anti-Trump agenda, the, the, the unholy alliance between all of these groups, the, the, uh, feminists, the, uh, uh the, the Muslims, the feminists, the, all these disparate groups. Yeah, the, coming together. The Nazis, the anarchists, oh, the socialists. It's just the, a mess, yeah. yeah. But before we get back to our guests, I want to mention that, uh, Alan Riggs from Green Innovative is extending his, obviously extending his sale. If you go to greeninnovative.com, that's greenovative.com. And use the coupon code HAGMAN. What What's going to take place is this. You're going to be treated to a 14% discount for the entire month of February. That's right, 14% off. Get it, February 14th, Valentine's Day, 14% off. And for your entire purchase, go to com. And they, of course, they're the manufacturers of the GMAG charger. Battery recharger. I gotta tell you, it's a great little device. It weighs eight ounces. It's got no moving parts and you want to charge batteries with just a little bit of salt and water. There you go. It's really something to have, uh, especially when, you know, when you need power and you're looking for those batteries that are on the shelf and they're dead or they're dead in the flashlight. What do you do? And is this, what are you going to do if you can't plug something in or it's a cloudy day, you can't use the solar charger. Well, Green Innovative got, they've got the answer. Go to Greenovative.com. That's Greenovative.com. Use the code, the coupon code Hagman. They'll do the rest. Our guest again is Cheryl Chumley. Her website, CherylChumley.com. She's YouTube under the same name as well. She's a writer, author, public speaker. She's been on all of the uh, talk shows. Uh, Michael Savage, all of the TV stations. She's written a couple of books. She's got two more coming out, but Police State USA. And The Devil in D.C. Uh, Cheryl, can I ask you, the title, The Devil in D.C., I know we talked about this, but my goodness, that, that's a pretty provocative title. And it does bespeak the uh, Christian, uh, well, the good versus evil aspect of what we're facing, doesn't it?
6: Yeah, it it sure does, and it is kind of blunt for a reason because you want it to be attention grabbing. It's funny because some people, when the book first came out, assumed that I meant the devil in D.C. as Obama, Um, and and I didn't, you know, I wasn't specifically thinking of him. And it it was my marketing department, anyhow, who came up with the title. But when I heard the title, I loved it because to me, it, it epitomizes what the problem is not just in this country, but in D.C., where the central location of power is, and it's the spirit of corruption, of greed, of deceit, uh, lies, you know, all that. That is basically alive and well. And as Christians know, it is the battle of principalities we are fighting, and everything seems centered on Washington, D.C. Uh, that's where the devil does his best work, it seems like. So, you know, the, the title is provocative, and I, I think a lot of people might actually agree with it.
2: Yeah, um well definitely with the title of the devil in dc um, that can't be ignored. You know, we see all the corruption, all the evil that comes out of there. But you know what what's um striking to us here, you know, we talk a lot about local solutions, um areas where we can affect change, and we always find ourselves complaining about dc and rightfully so. There there is so much that goes on there. That is just, you know, uh, not only immoral, but illegal. But we don't do things here at the local level, um, to better our situation. It, what are some of the things we can do as Christians with our local government and our, and our cities and our towns to, to help uh, rebuild things from the ground up? Because obviously it's not going to be the other way around. We're not going to be able to fix things, you know, looking uh, to the, uh,
1: federal government to, to fix itself. Or, or can we? Because this is a pretty optimistic book. Despite the problems. I mean, despite the title, you, you, you identify the problems. It is a pretty optimistic book. So, yeah, what are some of your solutions for this?
6: Well, I I did pack it with solutions, but, Joe, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said local. Um, I actually have an entire chapter devoted to go local first because this is where the people are closest to the politicians. You know, say you're a a homeowner and you want to put a shut-up in your backyard. Uh, but the local environmental rules say you need a floodplain study and so forth, and to do that study, you need a $500 permit fee, and you have to jump through the bureaucratic hoops. Well, you know, that zoning board member could be next to you in church one day, or you could run in, into him in the shopping mall or something like that, whereas your legislators on Capitol Hill, you're never going to see them until they come back and speak to you in a controlled, confined environment, like a town hall where they can be ushered in and out quickly to avoid your questions. So if you want to have an impact on government right away, go to your local boards of supervisors' meetings. Go to your local uh, zoning and planning commission meetings. You would not believe the things that take place at those local boards that just completely destroy the concept of the Constitution. You know, I started out in reporting, and I spent years covering these boards. And, you know, you learn a lot. You see how a UN agenda is played out on the local level. If you go in there with any knowledge at all of how government works, you will be blown away by what the boards of supervisors get away with, and especially your boards of education. And the reason they get away with this is because nobody goes to cover them and hold them accountable. We need more conservative Christian voices in the local government holding these people accountable. Otherwise, it's just going to be run away in the communities.
2: And you make a great point, and you're exactly right. Um, the one issue I see with this now, though, is there's been an atmosphere created not only by the mainstream media uh, and by the, the politicians, um, but also this, this culture of, of politics we have and unrest we have in this country to where somehow uh, the, the media, well, the media, as Donald Trump said this weekend, is the enemy of the American people. How much it, it seems to be that much harder to be able to get things done when you know regular uh, biblical doctrine, uh, the Ten Commandments, are pretty much labeled, and the ideology of of Christianity is labeled uh, basically radic- radical, uh, extreme, um, you know, hateful, intolerant, uh, and it's being ba- that narrative is being backed up by the media and by many people in the government. How? How do we best break through um and and get back i mean is can we get back to a point where um you know at least a majority of the of the people in this country citizens of this country uh believe in that that the Ten Commandments are moral and something we should follow and, and believe that you know the constitution was based on judeo christian values and and is is fine the way it is instead of trying to change it to to fit you know a narrative of the socialism, the communism, and the culture of death that the left seems to be promoting, with that media, uh, I guess, being you know the big hindrance here and uh, driving the narratives. How do we how do we get past that?
6: Right, it's a, it's a huge problem. You know, just to uh, give a, a couple of statistics, you know, ninety percent of members of the media in a survey a couple of years ago said that they don't go to church on a regular basis. You know, a good portion of them don't even believe in God. So when you see issues being covered like abortion or uh, gay rights or gay marriage, you get a sense of where they're coming from and why they think Christians are complete loons. And that's why Christians or the Christian voice will never get treated with the same uh, you know seriousness that someone uh, having an abortion maybe to save the mother's life, supposedly, or having an abortion because they made a mistake when they were a young teenager. You know, those people will get treated with a certain amount of respect and regard and even sometimes admiration by these members of the media. And Christians who would oppose such things are treated as if they're uh, cruel, as if they're out of date, is if they're living by biblical principles that don't matter any longer. And it's that basically they're just haters. So this is what we're dealing with uh, with the media. And I can tell you this firsthand for 15, 20 years now, I've been a member of the media. I've seen it on the inside. I know the type of people that I've worked with in the past. And it's not that they are purposely... Uh, intentionally trying to tear somebody down, but it's their world view is so different, and they are scornful of those with a different world view, a Christian world view, because the groups that they hang with, the the people that they associate with, they all think as they do. So the Christians are the outsiders. Uh, the way to overcome that, just here's a thought. If you are a Christian and you like writing and you like news, become a reporter. You know, I, I've had to put up with quite a bit in my years of reporting, but I'm glad I did it and I'm glad I continue to do it because if you're that different voice, you have a chance to give hope and, and a voice to those who sit at home and just listen to one mainstream leftist media member after another. You know, when, when you get somebody with a Christian voice, you finally get that, yeah, all right, moment, I'm not alone. So I think maybe more Christians ought to go into the field of journalism, into the field of writing, into broadcast news. Uh, you know, that would definitely be one solution.
2: Absolutely. And, and the, you know, one thing you said when you first came on was this attitude that Christians have that, they believe that they don't need to be involved in politics that they should not be involved in certain um areas uh of you know whether it's politics or journalism uh or even get involved in in you know being active in in politics and you know the, the bible doesn't say to um the, the bible nowhere in the bible does it say that we need to lay down and let uh you know the, the systems of this world be. It says we're not to be of the world, we're not to love the world, but it does not say we're not supposed to try to affect change in the world. Can you speak to to Christians out there who might uh, have not taken any action or even opinions based on a misconception that they're not supposed to as Christians?
6: Exactly. And I think you rightly quoted the biblical principle that a lot of Christians that I've come across use is justification to stay home and be quiet. The, the principle that we are to live uh, you know, in this world, but not of this world. And that's taken to the extreme sometimes to me. Well, we are to be quiet and God has appointed the leaders so we can't oppose the leaders and all that. Well, our country was based on Judeo Christian principles. And, you know, our founding fathers were not wusses. You know, they took on the King of England and they made it very clear that the reason that this nation was going to succeed was that first and foremost, it was built on recognition of a higher your power you know there's a lot of leftists, there's a lot of atheists, and there's a lot of progressives that want to deny that. But in the research for my second book in particular, and in part parts of my first book, you know, I went to original documents that you can access online. And you see all kinds of founding fathers that the leftist paint is supposed to be atheists or not believers in God. And there they are quoting God. There they are, quoting the Creator. So it's complete bunk to think that our nation was built on any principle aside from Judeo-Christian principles. And it's complete bummed to think that we are not supposed to bring God into our government because that's our founding roots.
1: In fact, your book, chapter three, is putting the Bible back in schools. And you get into, you get into a lot of things in, in chapter three. We, we need to do this. We need to get back to educating our children, um, from a biblical worldview. Right, and people, and people will,
2: will, and I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. People will say, you know, well, this is why America was founded, um, you know, not to, uh, have a government based on, on a religion, because we've seen that in the past, and we saw, you know, the Inquisition, and we saw what happened, you know, this is what, why uh, America was founded, to be a nation free from religion. But what the distinction needs to be made is, is, a state religion, and, and that state religion influencing um, the world and the country and its policies versus a uh, religion uh, of the people of the state influencing the government. Um, and we've seen the former, you know, become very destructive throughout history. And what we have in this democracy is something different, but people will falsely equate the two as, as being one and the same.
6: Well, it is false. I mean, you cannot deny that the founders of this nation came here from Europe and their belief in in God was of a Christian God. We did not have Muslims coming over with the Prophet Muhammad and using that uh, to influence our founding documents. You know, the the God of this country has always been the Judeo-Christian God, and that is what our country is about. You know, if you don't like that, if, if you don't if you don't appreciate that, and if you want to fight that, you can, but you cannot change the truth of what this nation was founded upon. And I'll tell you, I for one am not gonna sit here and just let people lie and not fight back about it. Because that's what's been going on successfully for these last few years, particularly under Obama. And I'm just tired of hearing our country uh, lied about the founding reasons for our country was you know first and foremost they wanted religious liberty and so forth and that meant for all religions but you can't deny the fact that the first people here in, in our country to found our new government were coming at it from the view of the judeo-Christian God.
2: Hey, and you're absolutely right and um, you know one area I've done some research in and have some issues with is with the the faith of some of the founding fathers. But there, as you said, there's no denying that our, our nation and our constitution, our laws were all built around, uh, the geo Christian principles and that the citizens who came to America and who founded and, and became and been built this nation were, you know, 90 to, to 95%, uh, Christians, Bible believing Christians. And it was that way for hundreds of years. As time progressed and, and, and we, you know, got, uh, more technologically advanced with the uh, electricity and automobiles, and, uh, the government started to expand, and, you know, the Federal Reserve. We saw this, you know, this, uh, information, uh, explosion, and especially with the internet. But as that information explosion started, we started to see, uh, those Judeo Christian values walk back from the one example that my dad mentioned was the Bibles being taken out of the schools, prayers being You know, taken out of the public. Let me
1: stop you right there, and let me ask uh, Cheryl a question. Uh, Cheryl, do you think the erosion caused by Obama and caused by his predecessors, uh, do you think the erosion has been so great that we is it insurmountable? Can we can we get can we can we reinstall the? um, the, the, the biblical teachings back in school. Can we overcome the common core? Can we, through or Betsy the, DeVos, for example?
2: Yeah, um, or like you said, are we at that point where this next generation will be a, a godless generation?
6: Well, uh, I'm, I'm all about optimism, because I think as long as you have life, as long as you have breath, you have hope, if, if you have God. I mean, in the human eyes, no, it looks ridiculously impossible, especially when you look at what's continuing to go on with Obama, and his organizing for action, and the little shadow government he has going on with George Soros and so forth. You know, this isn't going away anytime soon. So that's why the number one thing we have to continue to do is confess, repent, and pray. That is the foundation of all our success as a nation, uh, is all our success as believers in Christ. And so it all starts there. But, yeah, if you look at it with human eyes, it looks insurmountable. But, no, I actually believe that this nation can return to its Judeo-Christian principles, and our nation can turn itself around, and we will have a generation that comes back full force with belief in God. We can teach the Bible in school. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we can do as a nation that isn't being done now.
1: Got it. You, you mentioned Obama in a shadow government. i got to ask. Are you amazed? Uh, I mean, what do you when you look out at, at the sea of people, the humanity, the protests, and in this this um, multicultural pollution, I call it uh, out there, with respect to the uh, uh, to the protests, the the, uh, the women's march, for example, the Muslims backing up the Marxist progressives. I mean, does that blow your mind, or, or what do you think? Yeah. about that?
6: It's mean, wow. yes. crazy, right? I mean, even 10 years ago, you wouldn't have imagined such protests in the street. You know, things were getting crazy back in Ferguson, uh, you know, St. Louis, Missouri, when you had the, the whole hands up, don't shoot, Black Lives Matter movement with uh, the officer, uh, Darren Wilson, who shot the black uh, teenager, Michael Brown. And that's when that whole mantra started and that's basically when, you know, that whole movement started of sweeping across the nation, protests in the street, rallies in the street. And now that has morphed into what you just described. Everybody's angry and their anger is all directed at Trump and conservatives and to even a lesser extent I think because they're not so open but Christians. And so if you're if you're on the right hand side in America, if you're a Christian and conservative you are automatically a target. And it does blow my mind, but at the same time, it, it it really shouldn't, because it is biblical that toward the end days, this is what's going to happen. And I think this just gives an opportunity, if you are a bold Christian, to actually stand up and fight. Uh, I mean, I, I don't mind fighting, really. Uh, and I think there's a lot of Christians out there that don't mind it either.
1: And I, and I totally agree. I, I think we're, we're fixing... It. We're fixing for a fight. I mean, looking at the yeah. landscape, the <laughs> vitriol really right. out there, my goodness. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, to me, this is just crazy. And, and, and I, you know, I, I, and I know we, you've, your, your book does contain solutions and things that Christians can do and conservative Christians can do. We'll get to, we'll get to that. But, um, the, the most dangerous. Movement out there, the most dangerous sentiment out there. What do you think that that is at, at this at this point? Is it the anti-Trump movement, movement, or is it everything combined? Or
6: yeah, I still see the larger problem in America is the failure of of our culture and our politics to recognize that our rights come from God, not government. And from that springs all these other ills, such as the anti-Trump movement, such as the crazy women marching in the street, such as the Black Lives Matter.
2: Yeah, and and it seems um, uh, just looking at, at uh, this current landscape, you know, it's all backed by, you know, Soros, the elitist, the leftist money uh, that's pouring in here, trying to get stirring up problems with these different organizations in order to foment this unrest, and um it between the media and the political opposition in this country during this last election cycle it has really uh i call it just insanity uh what we see in the news and and you know the violence that we've that we saw during the the beginning of this trump presidency that wasn't even denounced by the politicians on the left or the media they they've been you know cheering it on. And that speaks to to me to a, a much deeper, darker spiritual issue uh, that we have in this country that that spans beyond politics. It reminds me of the Bible verse, you know, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against uh, principalities of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. It seems that as we move away from the Judeo-Christian values, as we continue to remove God from our society, um, these movements not only continue to happen, but they seem to be backed by some dark demonic forces, and this is where they gain their power
6: i I agree with everything you say um, you know and George Soros, I think, is treacherous. I think that he's a billionaire looking for ways to use his money to gain uh you know personal power. And he cares little for sovereign nations and so forth. And right now, he has his eyes set on America. I think he was shocked that Hillary Clinton didn't win. I think a lot of politicians were shocked Hillary Clinton didn't win. And they spent several shock days scrambling. But what they've scrambled into is this shadow government force. Uh, You know, this is not a secret, so, I mean, I don't even, maybe you shouldn't even rightly call it a shadow government. It's an out-in-the-open leftist uh, attack against Trump. Uh, Obama has started organizing for action. Obama lives in Washington, D.C. still, just a few doors down from Ivanka Trump, Uh, so he's right there within the halls of power, and his big thing is right now to raise the next generation of Democrats to fight for progressive principles. Those are his words. That's what he said. So this is not a shadowy type of agenda. And second off, he wants to resist all things Trump. I just did a story today about uh, Organizing for Action's stated agenda on its own website, and they are calling for people right now to be trained how to fight Trump on crumbling Obamacare. Uh Obama and OFA wants to keep Obamacare so they want to train people how to fight, what's what strategies to use to take down Trump on that point. Same with immigration. This stuff is out in the open on the websites for you to see. And you know it's a horrific force that we're facing, but as Christians we should stand fast and stand strong because we know in the end that we win.
2: Amen to that. We just have about a minute and a half before our next break. Um if I can just get your opinion on one of the Trump policies through the executive orders that he issued on immigration, he, he, he issued the temporary 90 day Muslim ban to expand information gathering no, and the vetting. You much
1: words. That's, not a Muslim
2: temporary, ban. not a Muslim ban. <laughs> a temporary ban from seven, all right, from seven Muslim countries. But one thing he did that's drawing not a lot of Muslim. criticism, um, cause he says that his executive orders were not based on religion was he gave priority to Christian refugees, um, which you know have, that was the opposite under the Obama administration. Do you, is that bias in your opinion? Is Trump being biased, or is it is it uh, you know giving proper priority?
6: Um, I, I don't I don't see it as biased, and here's why I see it as him taking matters. Uh, of the Christians' plight into his own hands that he felt were ignored under Obama, that a lot of us felt were ignored under Obama, and he's trying to open America's doors to Christians. As far as the 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 ban on those from seven mostly Muslim nations, uh, I I don't see that as a religion ban because he didn't name like India. As a matter of fact, he didn't name any of the nations. He just referenced ones that were that were uh, listed as hot terror spots under the Obama administration. And among those were seven mostly Muslim nations. But, you know, that was a national security issue. We cannot go into this war on radical Islamism and war on terrorism with blinders on our eye. We have to recognize who the enemy is. And I think that's what Trump is doing with that order.
2: No, you're exactly right. Folks, we are talking with Cheryl Chumley. She is an author, writer, a speaker. Her books are *Police State USA*, *How Orwell's Nightmare Is Becoming Our Reality*, and her latest book, *The Devil in D.C.*, *Winning Back the Country from the Beast in Washington*. We're going to be focusing on this book and the solutions in this book when we come back with Cheryl on the other side. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Don't go anywhere.
3: Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com
1: to this edition of the Hagman and the Hagman Report. Our guest, very special guest, author, speaker, researcher, journalist extraordinaire, uh, Cheryl Shumley. Go to CherylShumley.com. Uh, website, fantastic website, by the way. Um, Up to date information. Of course, her book, "The Devil in D.C.: Winning Back the Country from the Beast in Washington." Yes, sir Be bold, be because we are bosses of presidents politicians and police that's chapter six of our book we have uh, both books here at uh, the hagman studio highly recommend if you want to look at the current situation through the prism of, of bible of, of the bible as opposed to the world just the worldview. uh this is the book to get uh, as well as police state usa i consider those two as a package deal before we get back to cheryl i just want to mention that uh, you know, when my wife and I go in warm different, different parts of the country, we carry satellite phones. The satellite phones from the, phone, the satellite uh, phone store. Folks, you've gotta, you've got to check out uh, the satellite phone store. Go to com. These are the Iridium satellite phones. These are great phones. You can talk anywhere. I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, owning and using a satellite phone has really freed I mean, I can actually dial. It's actually got numbers on it. But, but, but the fact of the matter is this: when all other means of communication are out, or the cell phone lines are down, or the reception, you can't get reception. All you need to do is have a clear line of sight to a satellite. Here you go. This is what this is what you use. And I'll tell you something: it is it, it is cheaper than you might think. Less expensive than you think. Go to satellitephonestore.com. That's satellite. PhoneStore.com. They've got a, just a number of different plans. Um, talk to Eric Tallman. Ask for Eric. Ask for the different plans. Tell him that Doug and Joe sent you. That's SatellitePhoneStore.com. This is the satellite phone. My wife and I both each have our individual phones. I'm losing my voice. That's too much. Um, too much. Too mu- too many videos over the weekend. I guess right. Too much reading. Too much reading. <laughs> right. Anyway. But, uh, But, uh, we're joined by Carol, Cheryl, Cheryl, if I say that one more time, shoot <laughs> you're me. Be, if you say that one more time, you're suspended for the evening. Really? I I gotta have a jar here. That I gotta throw dollars in or something. Um I, I'm so sorry. Cheryl Chumley. Um, just a wonderful, gracious lady, that an author of books, as I said, Police State USA, and The Devil in DC, winning, uh, winning back the country from the beast in Washington yeah true investigative journalist yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you know I want to ask you a question if I can kind of off script not that we have a script obviously but your work with the Freedom of Information Act what have you found out with respect to the Freedom of Information Act because I know that you've done a lot of work with the with the Freedom of Information Act requests. how forthcoming is our government with respect to records and information that that they may not want us to have?
6: You probably already know the answer to that, Doug. Uh, They're not very forthcoming at all. Uh, You know, it used to be standard practice for me whenever I would go to cover a new government body that one of my first requests would be to uh, get the salaries and... um, you know, work titles and names and so forth and years in permit, years in service of all the government officials. If I was covering a board of supervisors, I would get all the county government employees from police to teachers to, you know, staffers in the cafeteria. I didn't care, because that is information that you, as an American citizen, uh, deserve to have. You are the employer. You are the boss of these people. So you have the right to know how much you're paying them. And a lot of government officials, uh, well, why do you want that? What are you going to do with that? Where, where are you going to use that? And, you know, you should know if you ever go to make a FOIA request, uh, they don't have the right to know that information. You can just ask. I need the information because I'm an American citizen, I'm a citizen of this state, and uh, I'm your boss, if you want to be really bold about it. And a lot of uh, government officials don't like information like that out there, but here's why. Because it shows how they spend your money and how frivolous they are with it you know there was a superintendent that I got his uh, contract for and his uh, salary information and this guy was making two hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year we're talking about a medium-sized town we're not talking a city Uh, you know it was it was a, a county of maybe the second largest county in Virginia uh, so his base salary was $260,000 a year. Taxpayers also paid him, uh, his travel costs for his, uh, his personal car. We paid gas for him. He made 15 trips a month on average. Uh, if he went out of state to any type of conference, they paid for his hotel. They paid for his internet in his home and his cable in his home because he could use that in his home for work purposes, and I I don't mean to go on and on about this, but, you know, this is information that is crucial if you are the employer of a government official, which you are. It's just the basic information that you should have, and, I, I, you know, I I implore all Americans to make these requests of their government officials because it reminds them who's in charge, and just, once again, to underscore the answer to your question, they don't want to give it up that easily. But
1: in the end, the law is the law. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, I just, I, I just find it amazing that that uh, the government does make it difficult at times, if not, not right impossible, or, or even to the point of um, dare I say, hiding the records, Or hiding records if if they don't want to give them up, or making them cost prohibitive at times. I, I suppose is another way. To, uh, to deal with, uh, people who supposedly present problems or appear to present problems to the government officials. But, 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 you know, getting back to your book, be bold. We are the bosses. Uh, we employ the, the presidents. We employ the politicians. We employ the police. We, we are their bosses. And I think that we have to get back, and you rightly point out here, read the declaration, opening lines of the Declaration of Independence. And I think that we need to, to, to really Really do that and, and to, you know, keep that, uh, as a matter of, uh, you know, front and center, but, uh, it's, it that should be a duty of, of each citizen. Yeah. Um, more so than a
2: suggestion. Um, it, Cheryl, if we can, getting back to your books, you know, the police state, USA, I, I, I understand that title, where that title comes from. Um, the title, Devil in DC. Um, why did you title it "Devil in DC"?
1: Yeah, I mean, we asked you that earlier, but we've got I'm new gonna, listeners. Yeah, in fact, we got about five or six people that just asked, "What is exactly behind that title?" And of course, you answered that earlier. But and then some if, new people
2: that are go yeah. Ahead. And a follow-up question to that would be: one, What was uh, one of the most interesting things that you learned while, while writing this book?
6: Okay, um, the the Devil in D.C. was my marketing department at WND Books that came up with that title, and I absolutely loved it because it pinpoints uh, what the problem is. And the Devil in D.C., uh, you know, a lot of people may think it refers to Obama because it came out at the time he was president and he's certainly part and parcel of it. But what the real devil in DC is, it's the culture of deceit, dishonesty, uh, treachery, lies, corruption, greed that goes on in our, uh, our halls of Congress, our, our White House, our halls of power. Uh, and I think we all know this. We're fighting against principalities and we're not fighting against, you know, Republicans versus Democrats. It's, it's a lot deeper than that. It goes, it goes a lot higher than that. And that's what we need to keep in mind as Christians, uh, as we go about taking back this country from the atheists and progressives. And the second part of your question, uh, I forget what it was
1: well uh, we we've got we've got uh, several second parts so oh. l- let me ask let me ask this uh, aspect of that same question here um the, the forces at work against the forces of freedom inside dc and if we are to look at donald trump as being part of the freedom movement my question or several people are asking do you see donald trump being successful and if or or Alternatively, uh, what do you see the biggest threat to Donald Trump to be at uh, this point?
6: I, that's that's very interesting. Um, that, that's a very interesting question because I look at Donald Trump, and he is so flawed, isn't he? I mean, especially if you're a Christian, he really offends you sometimes. But just look at how bold he is. I mean, the guy doesn't care. You know, you can come at him with, Fifty different weapons and, you know, hit him from a hundred different directions, and he's up there, and he's doing the thing with his thumb in his hand, and, you know, he's saying he doesn't care, and, you know, what he doubles down on, I am heartened to see, is usually the things I care about as an American, which are tighter borders, national security, Jobs in America first. And those things are music to my ears after eight years of Obama apologizing for America, bowing to foreign governments, opening borders to anybody and everybody who wants to come in, uh, except, as we discussed earlier, sometimes the Christian refugees. So here's a guy that is very flawed, but his one trait that I think is going to propel him to success is the fact that he will not give in. And I think uh, you can look at that as perhaps God helped bring this leader into America at this time because God knows that this is the only leader that can withstand the attacks uh, from the vicious left that is going on right now and that will continue for the next eight years. So I actually think Trump can be successful.
2: Good, and I agree. Um, he seems to repel... You know, as you mentioned earlier about Mitt Romney, you know, could Mitt Romney or some of these other candidates, you know, withstand the scrutiny that the media has thrown, you know, at Trump? And we know just from, uh, you know, the 2012 election and, um, just from history that, you know, Donald Trump is, is, is completely different when it comes to media scrutiny. He seems to be able to turn it into, uh, positive publicity for himself. And, um, you know, that's, that's a whole different kind of politician than we've seen. At least on on the republican side in in a long time um not not to go too far back but again the title the devil in d c um how does the we know that the uh concentration of the corruptions of the you know bribery and the influence for money and the the terrible things that are happening in d c how does that filter out to the state and local governments that spirit of corruption that's in d c
6: well, it, you know, it starts with money. I mean, money is always involved in, in corruption, it seems like. You know, if the federal government needs the states to do something, for instance, adopt Common Core into the public education system, then the federal government will unlawfully so uh, dangle the carrot of federal funding. And that's what happened under Obama. And that's why you saw some states like Texas taking the lead and other states joining later to fight against the federal government. Um, so the corruption flows downward. And, uh, you know, I would caution against seeing D.C. as a more corrupt system than, say, a state government because, you know, people are people and humans are humans, and there's corruption everywhere. There's good and bad everywhere. Uh, it just seems to have a lot more, uh, you know, boot-stomping impact in D.C. because the federal government is just so all overpowering right now.
2: Got it. And, and you just mentioned about, about the states and, uh, what role, you know, we seem to have this, uh, not a debate really, but I guess a, a, uh, battling of ideologies that, you know, the federal government supreme, what they sh- say should, uh, you know, be, be the law of the land throughout the states. Yet at the same time, we were given states' rights and, uh, that states should be, you know, independent from the federal government. Now we see things like, um, uh, Eminent domain, where the federal government will come in, and and we saw this under the Obama administration, where I think it was three times the size of Texas Uh, land was seized, um, you know, for uh, government purposes. And um, there's many other examples, you know, uh, where laws are one way in in certain states, but at the federal level they're an opposite way. What's the proper balance of states' rights versus the federal government's intrusion?
6: Well, the states' rights uh, have been stripped. You know, the Tenth Amendment was put there for a very good reason. And we lost a lot of states' rights when we stopped having senators appointed by governors because the Senate um, was supposed to represent the states' rights, Whereas the the congressman, the legislative side, the House was supposed to represent the people, but now we have the two senators in each state who are elected, just like you know the congressmen are elected. Uh, you know, every six years we go and we vote for our senators, and the Senate senators go up there and they're accountable to the people again. So now you don't have the states' rights being represented in Congress. So if you want to fight for that battle, a good way to do it is to fight to return the country to the time when we had senators uh, appointed by the governors of the states, and that would certainly strip a lot of the uh, power that the federal government currently holds over the states.
1: Okay, I think that's possible. I mean, can we can we go back there?
6: You know. Like I said, I'm optimistic, but it it takes people uh, coming together. It takes people being willing to fight. You know, do I think that's pragmatically possible? I think it's a long climb uphill. But I also think that the state's rights are crucial right now. You know, we wouldn't have a lot of the mess that we have uh, going on in this nation right now if we had state's rights. Abortion never would have been. You know, that was a state's right issue. That would have fallen by the Constitution, to the states to decide. You know, Obamacare, states issue, gay marriage, states issue. All these things are supposed to be handled at the states, but they aren't. They're handled by the federal government. So, if you want to go to the root of the matter, root of the matter, instead of you know, fighting these little skirmishes and battles, the real root here is the the fate of the Tenth Amendment.
1: Okay, and, and, and that's good, and, and I and I, I see where you're headed with that. Now let's factor in the what i would uh and what many people term the false doctrine of judicial supremacy here all right um roe, roe v Wade, never never a federal law never a law of the land because it's antithetical to to the uh, the bible and the constitution uh the same with the burger fell never the supreme court doesn't make uh the, uh the law of the land one can argue where do you fall on judicial supremacy that argument um uh, if you don't mind.
6: Well, I, I agree with you on both those cases. And the the thing that was really egregious to me about, uh, you know, the Obergefell decision is that I, I'm sure you guys follow this, but Mike Huckabee was going around on the media at the time and pointing out to, you know, anybody who would listen that the states had never passed legislation, uh, you know, granting gay marriage so the supreme court was taking it on itself to create a law based on something that was not it was not codified anywhere it was not a law and the the supreme court took it on itself to make it the law of the land so i am firmly in the camp that of believing that the legislature could reel back the Supreme Court, which it needs to be, could reel back the Supreme Court anytime it wanted by passing laws that counter what the Supreme Court puts out in terms of its rulings. Uh, I think the Supreme Court needs to be reined in. I think it's done a lot of damage in recent times.
1: Okay. Now, kind of continuing on that train of thought, I, I want to ask about the Ninth Circuit Court decision that reined in the uh, Trump's executive action and, and you write in your book executive orders are antithetical to the constitution and I happen to agree with that um, however this executive order, executive action by Trump seemed to me to be not, of course I can make excuses for anything but it seemed to me to be more of a in line with his job description that hey I've got to take care of the security of the country I've got to watch over the security of the country but um, having said all of that Um, but where is I going with that? Basically, um, what do you well? I get. I'll just toss out What do you think about executive orders in the context of? Well, in that context, uh, whether it be. well, Well, go ahead.
6: Just bluntly, I hate executive orders. I hate them so much that I devoted a chapter in both of my books to them. That's how much I think they violate the Constitution, and not just the Constitution, but the spirit upon which our nation was founded. You know, no president has the right to act like a king and just, you know, take pen and pen to paper like Obama bragged about doing so frequently, and create this new law, this new policy. That being said not all executive orders are equal. George Washington himself did eight executive orders. The difference with his was that his were mostly executive orders to his, uh, you know, cabinet members to uh, ask them to provide him with an update on how things were going. So eight executive orders over eight years. That's basically what his were. Uh, Obama, on the other hand, though he's only used maybe 300 executive orders, 350, I forget the exact number when he left office. His were egregious speeches of power. He did things like order his federal government to reel back uh, greenhouse gas emissions by 40 percent by the year, I think it was 2020. He did that because Congress would not pass the climate change and greenhouse gas emission controls that he wanted. So he decided to take Penn in hand and create his own policy out of it. Now, when the federal government actually has to reel that back, what that does is it has a trickle-down effect. So your private businesses, your contract uh, governments, your I mean your contract businesses that do business with the government, they also, in order to compete, have to show oftentimes that they have taken those 40% reductions as well. So there there's a big difference in how executive orders are used and how they're signed. Now Trump's executive orders, as I understand it, there's not one executive order he's signed that has done uh that has brought into being anything different than is not already federal law. You know, they may be federal laws that have been laying dormant for years and years, but they're still federal laws. And what he's done is just codified them and, and put Put them into print and activated these federal laws, so to speak.
2: Yeah, and you're exactly right. And, you know what he's done is issued executive orders, basically uh, telling people to to apply the laws that are on the books, the laws that are in the Constitution, uh, specifically when it comes to immigration. And I want to ask you about the the media. Do you uh, obviously we know the media is bought and paid for. It's influenced by by money. Um, in and, and a globalist ideology, but do you believe that the backlash we see from the media is, you know, even against the constitutional things that Trump is doing, is just for the sake, uh, you know, that it's their job, they have to do it, or do you think it comes for, from a more, uh you know, personal, deep-seated hatred for this country and for what's right? No.
6: Well, if it's their job and they have to do it, where were they for the last eight years? Because I didn't see the media, you know, doing their job with Obama. I mean, it was coronation period for Obama, practically the entire first year he was in the White House. And after that, we were treated to such, you know, stellar questions as, uh, you know, how did you and Michelle enjoy your holiday? Who cares? You know, I just want to know how much we pay for their holiday. But those questions didn't come out until Judicial Watch filed Freedom of of Information Act requests for them. So let, let me be clear. The media is doing this on purpose. Maybe not every single individual member of the media, but the media members that count, that are in positions to sway how the news is covered, to sway how the stories are placed, to sway how the stories are edited and so forth, or posted online, they're doing it on purpose. And here's the bluntest example. I can give. Remember Huffington Post, how Huffington Post was so offended that Donald Trump was actually running for the to, for the high office of the White House, that they felt the need to put this uh, little addendum on the bottom of every story about Trump, oh, yeah. calling him out for being a misogynist, xenophobe, racist, sexist, and so forth. Uh-huh. And at first, they didn't even want to cover him. They put him on the celebrity news pages. Yep. But as he rose in the ranks of politics, then they had to move him to news. But they refused to print any story with Trump's name in it unless it contained that editor's note at the end. And that continued until the day he was elected. So this is a purposeful, wicked intent to take down Trump. And absolutely.
2: And, and back to the, what the media is doing, I'd say that during the Obama administration, they were doing their jobs... The global elitist jobs in protecting him you know
1: uh-huh.
2: reminding me of
1: uh well it's an government my goodness you george know.
2: Stephanopoulos asking obama you know about uh you know right after the election and obama said something like uh john mccain did not question my muslim faith yeah. and Stephanopoulos saying oh you mean your christian faith yes my christian faith and i, <laughs> I saw a video compilation today of, of the first hundred days of obama's presidency and the questions that they were asked of him and you're exactly right you know uh you know how's your golf game compared to tiger woods and you know just these non news related questions and, and and how soft they were and and then you see that atmosphere today in the media versus trump and how hostile it is and it's to the point it's it's just so ridiculous um you have to either laugh or, or throw your remote through the tv um because it's just it's just insane do you, we only have about a minute and a half left before the break um if let's say we've seen trump make some deals and put some things together where uh, certain companies say they're going to bring, you know, X amount of jobs back here. They're going to invest, you know, millions or billions of dollars back into the U.S. Uh, to continue the job growth. So we've seen them get out of the, the different trade treaties, uh, specifically the TPP that the Democrats were all against, um, you know, well uh, that was going on uh, when Obama was trying to push that through. Let's say jo- uh, Trump – really brings unemployment down from where it is at about 25% to about 15%, the real numbers. Or does anything good that really helps the American people, will he get the credit he deserves from the media? Uh,
6: No. No. I mean, there's no way. You know, look at Reagan. Reagan's still, according to the left-leaning media, the worst president in history. You know, that's ridiculous because his approval ratings, if you go to unbiased polls, are around 85%. You know, Americans love Reagan. And yet, according to CNN or the Washington Post or the New York Times, he's the doddering old fool of America. So, no, Trump will never go down in, in history in the minds of the New York Times. as anything but a circus act.
1: Gotcha. Our, our guest is Cheryl Chumley, CherylChumley.com, the author of uh, two books. Uh, police state USA, the devil in DC as well. Links on hagmanreport.com. Got about 120, 130 questions from listeners all across the world. Many in, well, most in the United States. Um, cool yeah. questions we'll ask, uh, our guest, uh, uh, George, uh, Mary, George again, Mike. Tom, we'll get to your questions. Just stay right where you're at. You're listening to the Hagman Report. Again, our guest is Cheryl Chumley, CherylChumley.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. We'll be right back. the products folks visit masterpreps.com again welcome to the hagman the hagman report family masterpreps.com i mean wow it's insane
3: masterpreps.com are you ready for what comes next
6: from all of us at in the
0: woods. We pray
3: you have
5: a
0: healthy, safe, and prosperous 2017.
3: And we would
5: like to thank all of you for welcoming us to the Hagman and Hagman family. You're all a very wonderful and special group of people. Because we believe it is so important for you to work and acquire good health this year, we're going to do something that we've never done before as a thank you to you for your support. We're going to make something available that we believe everyone needs.
6: During the month of January, anyone who invests in their health by purchasing either our American Heritage Remedies Kit, our Survivalist Natural Remedies Kit, or $200 in individual remedies of your choice, we're going to give to you our crisis remedy, just in case, for free. Your health must be a part of your preparation. We're here to help you with that drink. May God bless y'all, and may God bless America. Happy Happy New Year. Year!
2: final segment on this edition of the Hagman and Hagman report our guest is Cheryl Chumley she is an author a writer and a speaker her website is cherylchumley.com that's c h e r y l c h u m l e y.com uh her two books the uh, police state USA how Orwell's nightmares is, Be- is becoming our reality and the devil in DC winning back the country from the beast in Washington uh, we have a, a number of listener questions for Cheryl as well as uh, some of our own to continue with. But first, Cheryl, I'd like to ask you uh, if you want if you could talk a little bit about your podcast and where folks can find that.
6: Oh, yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I do a podcast for Soaring Eagle Radio, and it's just two minutes on uh, on their show every every day. And you guys can also see it on my website, com. But it's mostly just my two minute quick take on on news and cultural happenings from a Christian conservative view.
2: Excellent, and uh, folks, again, that's on Soaring Eagle Radio. Um, and make sure you bookmark Cheryl's website, and and uh, check that daily. As she does have uh,
1: all kinds of um, news, content, and information up there. I, I gotta uh, to check. We, we got wait a minute. So we, we, we gotta check to make. Are you wearing your white conserv- or white privilege pin? <laughs> I just
7: uh,
1: Eric, <laughs> the tech, right. zoom in yeah. on that. All right. Yeah. What a great idea that is. Right. Yeah.
6: The college campuses are going nuts. Really.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Well um, and before we I want to ask the listener question here before we go get on, okay, into go the, the politically correct and, and snowflake culture, um Margie asks, um who is the biggest threat to Donald Trump and Trump's agenda inside
1: his administration? Important distinction to inside his administration.
6: You know, I I don't know if there's a single person you could say, but in my view, I I would say it's the Muslim influence. Uh, There's a lot of unknowns going around about you know care and a lot of the radical Islamic influences that are coursing through our government right now. And I I would like to see Trump root out some of those influences because I see that as a real danger to American society
1: did you happen to catch uh, Cheryl the uh, the news about the, what was it the, the the three brothers that were working as IT people w- wasn't that three brothers and uh and I guess their fiance or wife for the uh, the members of Congress the eight members of Congress that they were Muslim and they were yeah. yeah I
6: did and I don't have a whole lot of details to add to it but that's exactly what I'm talking about
7: yeah exactly.
6: Uh, and, and you look at Keith Ellison, uh, you know, the DNC guy that the Democrats want to elevate in the party and his Muslim influences and so forth. You look at, you know, the Huma Abedin, uh, Abedin uh, with Hillary Clinton and, you know, some of the influences she brought in in government. It, you know, I think we just need to be aware and have open eyes about radical Islamism and Muslim influences in our government.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And again, it's, it's playing out manifesting on our streets right now today. We can see the fruits of, in my view anyway, the fruits of Obama and even before that with George Bush to a lesser extent, but the, um, the this tolerance of everything. Um, I, I don't know. We, yeah. we got, we got a number of people wanting, I got to, I'm going to get strung up if I don't ask her from these, mm-hmm. uh, these listener questions what do you think of the uh, the situation with Milo right now the conservative I'm not sure if you heard about that yes. uh, any thoughts on that I mean there's a whole array of questions and different iterations of the same question basically but what are your thoughts on, on what's going on there
6: yeah I'm a little bit sad uh, that this may be uh, this may be what takes him down and uh, but let me let me just be blunt I'm not a huge fan of Milo's Uh, it he brings forth a message in a way and with a uh, a life choice preference that I don't completely agree with at the same time I understand that I'm not a millennial and that you need the upcoming generation you need those who are younger than you to be able to speak to a younger audience and that's who he spoke with uh I didn't listen to the video of what he said, but I read all the excerpts and I find it shocking and disheartening and very, uh, very uh, awful, to be honest. But I, I do hate to see him brought down this way.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I haven't seen the video either and I haven't even read the transcripts. I, I just saw him reference, so I'm not even sure exactly what he said. But uh, And he issued a clarification.
2: Uh, he said that. There was a part, he was talking about how he, um, not only is a homosexual, but was a, a victim of child sexual abuse. So yeah. And apparently that was taken out of context to make it sound like, uh, he was advocating for pedophilia. I just caught yes. the tail end of the story, but, Jeez. um, you know, I don't agree with a lot of what he says, um, but he is an interesting, uh, voice in the conservative arena, if you will. And as you said, you know, he's gaining the attention of a lot of, uh, college age and, and, and millennials, which is kind of where, if, if we can go to this direction a little bit, the snowflake generation, oh, here we go. The, the triggered people, the, the, the great offense that I don't understand where it comes from. I mean, if I was, if I had the mindset of these people, um, I mean, my goodness, I don't know how I'd ever have gotten anything done in my life without hiding under my bed forever. I mean, go. from the, from the chalkings, <laughs> Trump 2016 written on chalk at, at college campuses, sending people into, you know, emotional shock pretty much. How has this been allowed to continue to, to progress the way it has to where these people's irrational feelings are being validated?
6: Because of the professors. Nowadays, I think it's like 80 to 90% of professors are, you know, Democrats. And they're not even, you know, the moderate, open-minded, let's uh, explore all different types of views type of Democrats. They're nuts. And as a matter of fact, a few years ago, I actually looked beyond some of the democratic labels and found a lot of these professors were actually disguised socialists. They contributed to socialist magazines, they freelanced uh, socialist articles, bringing up and uh, furthering socialist mindsets. And on my own college campus, I was subjected to a lot of these socialist-minded principles and, uh, and, and statements and so forth, particularly in economics. So this is the reason. You've got professors now who are fueling this. Some of them actually even give course credits to college-age students who go out and participate in rallies against Donald Trump, which is about as snowflake as it gets. But uh, you know, this is what
1: we're dealing with. This is something that you're going to be fighting for the next few years. Got it. And, and I agree with that. It's at, at that at that, that professor level. I mean, we're, we're, we're they're indoctrination centers, not educational uh, places of education, in my view, anyway. Now, now you in in your in your book, um, folks. Seriously, go to go to, or or just go directly to Amazon, uh, Police State USA and her latest, The Devil in DC. Uh, I, these are great books. But in your in your book, Cheryl, The uh, Devil in DC, you lay out a kind of a plan of action for Christians and conservative Christians. Uh, Is stuff we didn't even get into, like debt. Uh, you you want to address. Debt, for example, as you did so in in your book,
6: sure, just a uh, real brief. debt is slavery, and if you're carrying it in on your individual basis or in your home, you need to get rid of it uh, because how can you hold your government accountable, and how can you insist that your government uh, reel in debt and stop spending money it does not have? If you can't do that in your own home, you know when when you owe someone's money, You are ceding a little bit of your freedom to that person. So what do you think our country is doing when we cede all our debt to China or to other nations who maybe aren't so friendly to our interests? But this is where we're at as a nation. And paying down debt is not a boring topic. It's something we should get right on.
1: And uh, we've got some listener questions that sort of segue into, uh, or that segues into our listener questions about your thoughts as a journalist as a writer author um, with respect to the Donald Trump's current picks kind of selecting from the pool of the bankers the World Bank the yeah, a lot of Goldman Sachs, Sachs and stuff some Monsanto people yeah. um, your, your thoughts on that is is that is that kind of a a you know we've, we've got a we've got a fish in that pond or is that Something else going on there in your view
6: well, it's not surprising to me that Donald Trump, who has spent his entire life as a businessman and investor, uh, would want to surround himself with business-minded people and investment-minded people. It would be shocking to me if Donald Trump had looked to, you know, the activist camp or the professor camp to come, you know, be a part of his administration. Of course he's going to turn to those people that he's familiar with, that he understands their way of thinking. And to be honest, I don't think we as Americans should read too much into that. You know, one person in a cabinet position versus another is not going to be a shaker and member of our government. Uh, I think we need to look more at the overall picture of Trump's picks. And the biggest ones to me was uh, Mad Dog Mattis. I liked him quite a bit, and I like Rex Tillerson as well.
1: Uh, boy, I, I agree with Tillerson uh, Mattis, you know, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm really wait and see. I mean, I, I know his history, wait and see on, on, on that, but, uh, Tillerson, interesting nonetheless. And, uh, go ahead. While we're uh, talking about the,
2: the nominations in the cabinet, if we can just talk a minute about the, uh, the, the house and the Senate, we see Trump pushing through all these executive orders and I understand his need to want to keep his base happy, those who got him elected, uh, to keep his promises. But with the House and the Senate both being Republican and having a Republican president, we know that there is still some hostility between the mainline politicians of the party and Donald Trump. You know, you get the Never Trump movement and all these other things. But why not, uh, what's with the dragging of the feet of, of Congress?
6: That's a really good question. I mean, that's very perceptive. You're absolutely right. And uh, this is why I point out in my book yet another solution that you need to stop funding the main political parties because this is why. They're not up there representing the little people. They're up there representing their own interests. And this is why you have foot dragging. You have people who are in the established wing of the Republican Party, people like John McCain, whom we have just learned a few weeks ago has taken money from George Soros. You have people like Paul Ryan, who rose up through the ranks of the establishment, whom once again has taken funding from George Soros. And you have a few more of the movers and shakers on Capitol Hill who opposed Trump from the beginning, and they didn't just oppose him quietly. They were vicious. They were attack dogs. Uh, They were more aligned with the Democratic Party than they were with the Republican Party. And uh look at look at Paul Ryan. He didn't even come out until after Trump was elected and was still mulling whether he would support Trump or not. So this is why the foot dragging because you have Republicans that are more interested in their own self interests than they are in those of the constituents who elected them men there in the first place.
1: All right. And and I totally agree. Uh there's no way we're gonna get into all of these questions obviously. Um so perhaps we can distill this down. Give us some takeaways from your book. You, you you and folks um our book is full of really great information, great steps, how we can change. Well, let me ask this one question here. I think we can sneak this one in here. Uh with respect to Betsy Devo Betsy DeVos with the with the uh, uh Department of Education, um uh, your feelings, I mean should we even have this department, uh, or the, and also, we, what are your feelings about the selection there by Trump?
6: Yeah, I don't, I don't see the need to have a Department of Education. You know, educating your children is a parental right. And if you want the government involved at all, then it's a local issue, a state issue. And the federal government's involvement is has done a lot more harm to the education system than good. You know, the Department of Education is all about helping the unions, keeping the unions alive. They're not about educating the children, no matter what mantra they put out. And, you know, Betsy DeVos, I I, I don't have strong opinions about her either way. I, I would rather not see the department in existence. So anybody who leads that department, Kind of not on my top list
1: of favorites, anyhow. Understood. Okay. All right. Biggest takeaway from your book, or couple of uh, good takeaway points. I, I do. But by the way, I do like your your reference here. Um, well, I, I don't know. If, I don't want to take it too much out of context here. Really, okay. our last hope rests with our first hope, as God promised. If at any time I announce the nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed. And if that nation I I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And, and that that speaks so much to I to, I think to where we're at, and that that is from your book, The Devil in D.C. Winning back the country from the beast in Washington. Mm-hmm. And the
2: takeaways, uh, one one of the things I asked you earlier that uh, I forgot when you when you re asked was. Um, was there any one thing when you were writing this last book that re- that you learned that you didn't know before that really jumped out at you?
6: That's right. That was the question you asked. I couldn't remember. Uh, yes, the, there were actually several, but the one that jumps to mind right now is the 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 hugeness of the government in America. It, you know, I have a chapter on how big the government has grown, how many employees are at the federal level, the state level, and the local levels, and I swear I had to. I had to fact check that about ten times because I could not believe it. I mean, there are so many government employees and you just, you don't even recognize how many there are, but this is where your money goes. And that's why, to me, one of my biggest takeaways for this book is you need to be bold. Because if you're not going to be bold, you're just going to be rolled over by all the government entities. And, you know, that's not what our country is about. That's not what made our country great. And that's not what God wants for us as Americans.
2: That's right. And you just said the magic word I think you should win a Pulitzer Prize, (laughs) fact-checking. Something that's not done today. (laughs) Yeah.
7: So, okay.
6: Read that chapter. It was unbelievable. I, I was
1: looking for, for the, that information. When I read through that, I, I was, it was, uh, um, yeah, I was kind of surprised at the, uh, I, I knew there was a Leviathan, the, the behemoth of a uh, government, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't find it right yeah. here. But and what you just
2: talked about, how big the government is, how many employees it has, it makes, um, you know, the rest of us feel like there's very little, if anything, that we can do. And I know we kind of touched on this a little bit, but as a a uh, American citizen who's a Christian, what are some of the things we can do within our own family, within our own sphere of influence? Oh, there's a hot one to help um, bridge the 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 gap, uh, both in politics and just the overall atmosphere of of division.
6: Well, I think most Christians know that be usable, be somebody that that God can use, you know, and uh, for myself, uh, I find myself constantly checking myself and and finding a new area I need to work on, you know, uh, I guess for this year, it's it's working on peace and humility, Uh, those are two tough topics for me to look inward on and and deal with and those are two things that I find that God wants you to have as part of your characteristics uh, as part of your character so he can work through you and I think if every Christian in America looks inward first what can I do to make myself more usable to God then the rest of the 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 solutions will come
1: I agree
2: very well said absolutely um Cheryl, we are, uh, just in the, in the closing moments of the program. Um, anything you, any appearances you have coming up that you want to promote? Anything you're working on you want to promote? And, uh, um, anything you want to touch on that we haven't talked about yet?
6: Sure. Well, you know, you guys are phenomenal. The work you do, it's, it's really great. And, it, you know, you're a great host, but I can tell you're passionate about, what you speak about and I really hope God grows your ministry, your radio ministry in the months to come because the country needs it more than ever right now and as far as uh, what I'm working on you know, just go to my website if you're interested in how I look at politics from a Christian conservative view, and maybe it'll help on you when you deal with people you come into contact with who speak about things that you want to fight but you don't know exactly what to say. Um, and as far as uh, appearances, in November I'm going to be a keynote speaker at the, uh, Canada Christian Heritage Party. And um, that should be
1: broadcast, so I hope maybe people might tune into that as well. Super. All right. And we can go to your website, obviously, for details. And your website, of course, is com. I'm
2: sure we can uh, have you back on to promote it before yeah, the, absolutely. the event. All
1: right. Yeah. You, you've been so, such a gracious uh, guest with your with your gift of time. Thank you so much. I know uh, you've got a husband, uh, children, and two dogs and a cat waiting for you. So. Uh, <laughs> But uh, but but thanks for your gift of time and and we really appreciate it. And thanks for your great work too. Oh, your your books. You've got two two books coming out that you, that, that you're working on. Uh,
6: I'm actually one is a fiction book and it's Christian based. It's going to be a challenge for Christians. Uh, I'm not going to go into too many details on that. But the other one is nonfiction and it's being bold. It's how to be bold and become the person God wants you to be.
2: Perfect. Okay, and you know our audience has a. Uh... A lot of experience with the, uh, the the Christian fiction genre or the fiction genre based around prophecy or current events.
1: So, um, Christian faction.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or so, or um, whatever. Yeah. When, when, when yeah, we'll have to, to get our hands on those books as well, because that's uh, an uh, interesting niche of, in, in the world of writing that, uh, I think, uh, is, is underdeveloped and underexplored a lot. Uh, because I've read some really good ones. Um That I, you know, when I when I think of a fiction book based on current events or based on real life, especially when dealing with religion, and you know, it's kind of hard to take seriously. But when you start getting into it, and you're like, wow, this rings a lot more true than a lot of the the nonfiction books I've read. Uh, they get they get really good.
1: So I look forward to that. Yeah.
6: Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being our guest tonight. God bless you, and, uh, boy, keep on doing the great work you're doing. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. You right.
6: as well. Thank you. That was right, Cheryl books, Chumley,
1: yeah.
2: CherylChumley.com. Uh, hooray. Yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely, and her two books again. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, we're Police <coughs> State what USA with us? and The Devil in D.C. Devil in D.C. was the latest book, and <coughs> you can get that on our website.
1: Or go to Amazon. You know, and I've got to say this. When I, when I read her book, The Devil in D.C., Winning Back the Country from the Beast in Washington, you know, it seems like we have, just about everybody who comes on our show is an author, but her book really is more spiritual than, mm-hmm. than not. And...
2: Uh, and I didn't I mean, read the book I, I i read excerpts, read the table of contents, read
1: i think you read enough of it other, other people's pages. reviews
2: yeah. on it and and saw some pages here and there
1: and um i mean she but she really comes at this from the spiritual perspective yes, you know yes. what i'm saying it, whereas some people will cloak the that in the in the spiritual realm or in the spiritual aspect, but she comes at it just head head on
2: no, you're right. Usually it's the opposite. Usually it's, um, you know, a little bit of, of scripture mixed in with a lot of politics. This is foundationally, uh, biblical
1: and it extends from there, which is the way it should be. If, if you can, Joe, if you'll allow me this, I just want to uh, let people know, folks, if you go to hagmanreport.com or just go to our YouTube channel, check out the last two videos, um, that I have done. I'm going to let people know that, um, uh, uh, the investigators The volunteer investigators for the Northeast Intelligence Network, I've quietly been in contact with them over the last several months. I'm really not going to get into too much detail, except to say that instead of, instead of looking at the, solely the Islamic terror threat, in case you haven't looked at the, uh, the video.
2: Yeah, there's uh, two up there. The unholy
1: anti, uh, Trump alliance, but the the one the one before that, which is the prepare for conflict in yeah. the U.S. Marxist
2: groups up their activity,
1: just like and and you recall uh, Stuart Rhodes being on 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 the air with us and and how it was Operation Hypo. He had some people that he inserted into these. Yes, okay. Here's the deal: um, they disputed twenty people, and right? The, uh, we have anarchists. the same thing with respect to a couple of investigators. More than a couple, but not a whole bunch. Okay, but volunteer investigators that are actually monitoring the uh, Marxist progressive organizations all across the United States right now that have the uh, reporting back and saying, "Hey, folks," or you know, "Hey, Doug," uh, to tell the folks that that these problems are or these uh, uh, potential for conflicts are real, and they're talking about uh, how to not get arrested kind of be violent you know push it right to the edge and even go over the edge and but not get arrested so there's some things happening out there and in the alliances that are being made the the six thousand offices uh or branches or chapters of uh yeah i just missed that when i first heard it when when you were talking about i said
2: you know this kind of sounds far-fetched i'm telling you sounds a little too much too good to be true no, no, this is, the but now I see lawmakers coming out and speaking out about it. Judge
1: Napolitano, uh, yep. came out and said that Obama was acting in a treasonous Well, so now that, yeah, but you've got, okay, Obama organizing for action, which is the iteration, third iteration of organizing for America. Okay. But what I'm talking about is, is separate, but concurrent with that organizing for action. Right. And even part of it, you've got groups like Indivisible. Uh, you've got, uh, uh, groups like, uh, uh, the uh, Millennials for Revolution. I'm just trying to think of some of the, the bigger ones off the top of my head here. Uh, yeah, the anti-fascist groups. Yeah, and the Antifa and, and, and all of that, uh, of course. But all of these are, are, now you're seeing this this coalescence of these groups. And I guess what, I, what I'm saying to you, to you and, and I'll just close it out by saying this, You're seeing these people who are being guided and, and pushed by people like Bill Ayers. And that's, I'm saying people like in that capacity of the elder statesman, uh, role of, of a, what would you call them? An anarchist, Mm -hmm. um, advising these groups. And you've got attorneys on these groups on, on speed dial. Just almost every chapter has got an attorney on speed dial. So if you get, if you get, if they get arrested. They can get bailed out. they've got uh, many professionals uh, so I guess what I'm saying is these are not when you see the protests these these are neither spontaneous nor are they just uh, or organic or willy nilly they they've been very well planned and they're they're targeting right now over the next couple of weeks they're targeting the people the uh, legislator, the uh, congress people that are going to be going out to ta- town hall meetings. Watch that very carefully and watch that ev- evolve. Because you're going to see potential violence at these events.
2: Folks, go, go to HagmanReport.com on the right hand side. Um, under show notes, you'll see the little radio icon. And the rest of the week, uh, uh, thank you, John, for uh, booking uh, all these wonderful guests and laying this out for us. In the article, tomorrow, um, hour one's open. We got Leo Holman from WorldNet Daily joining us on oh, hour two. Wow. Standale, hour three. Wednesday, Paul McGuire will be our guest for the first two hours, followed by Pastor David Langford in the third hour. Thursday, we have the first hour open, and hopefully we'll be, get a chance to take some calls. But Thursday, at eight o'clock, we will be joined by, a uh, YouTube sensation, Lynn Lee Oz. And she'll be with us for an hour, followed by, uh, Robert David Steele, who was just He's coming on with back us recently. He's been making a lot of waves in, in the alternative media.
1: Pedagate, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, folks, there are arrests being made. I, I didn't mean to jump in, but I no, got to tell right. you, there are arrests being made on this. And what's taking place is there's some low, low hanging fruit that, that are being, um, yeah, uh, the pedophile arrested. ring in
2: Florida was, was, was yep. busted today.
1: Yep. We, and we and talked that about that on a general or or not uh, a, high ranking military, a retired military officer. Yeah. Uh, but there's, yeah, there's a lot of things taking place right now. you got to keep your eye on the news. And then
2: Friday, Dr. Ted Brewer, followed by a new guest, Pastor Warren Campbell, uh, comes to us via a listener request. So we're looking forward to that. We've got a great rest Multiple of the week planned. Requests. So we will be back tomorrow. Until then, stay safe. God bless. Have a great evening.